Hey, Gary, I was thinking, how cool would it be if we took this shit into real life? Took this shit into real life? Yeah, you know, this am thing I, we Am do. I talking to an AI? <laughs> am I talking to a her? What? Are you one of the hers? No. Okay. No, no. It is well, like, well, like, what if we wanted to break free of our shackles, uh, our cyber shackles, and uh, get in there and touch some people? You know, yeah, we can avoid uh, attracting Shackler's revenge. Oh yeah, if that I would, I would, I would love that. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's a great idea. Yeah. Well, fortunately, uh, we have been invited to the Ohio Game Developers Expo uh, oh, to give hey. a talk about Dark Souls, titled "Lessons from Lordran: A Bonfireside Chat." Yeah, yeah, and that's going to be, uh, you know, us kind of going through some some generalities, some game design strengths and uh, lessons that you can learn from the Souls game that we have have gained from, uh, you know, I, I try to be modest, but we spent more time than most mm -hmm. talking about this. Um, you know, we're by no means, uh, like the experts, but you know, mm -hmm. there are like hundreds of hours on maybe not hundreds of hours, quite a lot of hours on tape <laughs> of us, uh, us chatting this up and we spent a lot of time researching as well. So it's, it's time to put that to, to use and, uh, we're looking forward to it. And in addition to going out to that, which we'll give you the details in a moment, we're also doing some appearances, not at the show. So it's the first time the two of us have been in the Midwest together while we knew each other. Yeah. It's technically we like at some point we were probably in Ohio at the same time. Yep. But it was when we were little babies. Yeah. Uh, bonfire babies. Uh, <laughs> two, two, two baby ships passing in the night. Yeah. Two dinghies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, we're going to be uh, gathering in Cincinnati on Friday night uh, at 16 bit, which is a bar downtown bar slash arcade. Um, and we're going to be gathering at the Rehab Tavern in Columbus on Saturday in the early evening. You can get details about all of this, including the show, at uh, duckfeed.tv slash Ohio-2015. Yeah, we'd love, to, we'd love to see you. So you should come to the event, the, the Ohio Game Developers uh, Expo, mm -hmm. because it is going to be a great time. It looks really neat. Lots of cool uh, indie games being shown and other cool talks. Mm -hmm. And uh, you should come to the meetup because we'd love to meet you yeah. and uh, have a drink and, and job out games. Yeah, so you can get uh, so you can RSVP and you can buy your passes uh, at duckfeed.tv slash Ohio dash 2015. Some of our landings were desperate adventures. We are now prepared to meet the inevitable counterattacks with power and with confidence. Butterfield. My name is Cole Ross. You're listening to Bonfire Side Chat. It is a Squamous favorite. <laughs> and this week is a very special episode about one Howard Phillips Lovecraft. Yeah. Yeah. So this is uh, something that uh, I've wanted an excuse to do in pod form for a while. And finally, uh, from software made the game <laughs> that, uh, that, make, that makes it work. Because as you know, if you've been listening to Bonfire Side Chat or if you've just played Bloodborne, um, H.P. Lovecraft and, and the things he've, he's done has a huge influence on that game. It's I would say it's the primary influence to kind of the, the story of that game. Yes. Um, and the theming. And and he's shown up in the, the margins of previous yeah, Souls specific, games. Specifically in like uh, monster designs and things like that. Yeah. And also a couple of concepts about like spreading corruption and other planes of existence and such. Yeah, Latria. <laughs> um, things like that. But th this is this is explicitly Lovecraftian. Yeah. Uh, so we decided we'd take an episode to kind of talk about the man 
um, talk about his influence on Bloodborne and Souls, and then kind of examine three of his stories that have a direct uh, influence yeah. on, on Bloodborne to varying degrees. Like, Bloodborne is not a pastiche of any—this isn't like Dark Corners <laughs> of the Earth, which is, you know, directly— one you know one story or two stories from from lovecraft mm-hmm. but yep. there are stories that have more in common and some that have less mm-hmm. yeah so gary do we have any um uh, mea culpas um yeah so um one thing is i, I i'm a big fan of hp lovecraft i'm not a scholar so there are lots of biographical uh details that i'm you know i might get wrong um <laughs> this is all stuff that i've i've learned but it's not you know i also uh I, I have my fingers in many pies, so there are a lot of <laughs> lot of things I I can't be a, a Fallout scholar and a, a Lovecraft scholar. I have to, you know, something has to fall by the wayside. So I'm a big fan. <laughs> I've read all of his works, including mm-hmm. like the 35 percent that's terrible. <laughs> and uh, you know, I've listened to podcasts examining it and read a lot about him, but I haven't read like his collected letters and mm-hmm. um, read any biographies or anything like that. So there are probably some little details that we might get wrong. Yeah. Um, so I ask your uh, your patience in that. Yeah, and uh, I am a fan of Lovecraft, but mostly of the effects that he has had um, on games and other and other media and storytelling. Uh, I've read some Lovecraft before, but this is definitely the highest concentration uh, that I've gotten. Yeah. Yeah, so so just bear with us a little bit. Um, it is not quite the blind leading the blind, but it might be the you know the the sleepy leading the blind or <laughs> the, the nearsighted leading the as- yeah. astigmatic. Yeah, 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 something 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 closer to that. So, um, but yeah, let's talk about the guy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so he's a, a turn of the century uh, weird fiction writer, uh, mm-hmm. born in 1890, um, and uh, this weird fiction is kind of this this genre that he was a pioneer in. That is a precursor to kind of modern horror and sci-fi. Um, it, it's when when people talk about those early genres of horror, there are as many classifications as there are like metal. Yeah, it feels like oh, this isn't quite a weird tale. This is a you know a suspense story or <laughs> something like that. This is a cosmic tale. Yeah, well, are exactly. those kind of the same? Well, one's a subset. Well, yeah, you see, yeah, there are but, squares and rhombuses. There's lots of squares and rhombuses in this stuff, but weird fiction is kind of the the general. Uh, umbrella and yeah. there there are multiple weird fictions off mm-hmm. weird fiction authors it's not just him but he's and, kind of the one that has the biggest cachet now yeah and that's primarily where he was published too like in anthologies um and uh like magazines publications uh with his short stories right yeah yeah absolutely like he was published in his lifetime but did not was never successful so this right. is another artist that didn't uh, get kind of renowned until afterwards um he had his fans and he mm-hmm. you know did okay but he more or less lived and died in poverty and, and died kind of as a direct result yeah. of that poverty, um, which, is, which is really depressing. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, his, his, the story of, of Lovecraft's life is not a happy one. Yeah. So. What's, what's that uh, that YouTube documentary called? Oh, um, Fear I think of the Fear, of, Fear of the Unknown, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. That's worth watching mm-hmm. if you just kind of want an overview of, of him. Yeah. There was a lot of depressing stuff about Lovecraft. Like he, you know, kind of came from this northeastern kind of very new england dourness kind of mm-hmm. thing right and uh kind of famously um it's going to be hard not to address this up front so we might as well get it out of here uh didn't like people who were different from him yeah yeah there's a lot we're not going to make any excuses for, no. for the racism there's some explanations there's some that i read some more convincing than others mm-hmm. about it um, i was talking on the slack channel to, to somebody who was having a hard time getting past it and he was saying like it doesn't just feel like racist grandpa. Mm-hmm. And I would challenge that by just saying, like, this is just racist grandpa who articulates himself mm-hmm. in a different way. Like, this, you know, it doesn't make it okay. He was right. super racist. But a lot of people were racist then, and he happened to write stories yeah. about what scared him. Mm-hmm. That was 
That's what he did, and this scared him. Even, so, if, even if this was kind of like a way to try and persuade people to see minorities the way that he did, and that that even included like white poor northerners, you know, um, you know, even if it was persuasion, in the modern day, it doesn't really feel effective. If this yeah. is how he felt when thinking about, again, people who are different from him, it, it actually makes him kind of an object of pity. Yeah, I don't I don't feel like it's persuasive. I don't feel yeah. like at any point he was trying to, like, convince people that he was right about it. I think yeah. that he just felt the things really genuinely and mm -hmm. strongly. Yeah. And so I, they, I think they our reaction up. to anything that, that is this reactionary um, is to kind of see it as like, wait a minute, this is challenging my modern views. Yeah, yeah. It makes it it's, it's hard to get past it. Like the yeah. first time, you know, you run into something like that and it can be in the middle of a bunch of really cool <laughs> shit. And then it just like, you know, lowly birth people, from, perhaps <laughs> from Africa or just like um, there's a story he did that we're not covering called um, uh, like Arthur German, like the, the mm -hmm. last world and testament of Arthur German that like is a really, really cool beginning. And then slowly it's like, uh-oh, uh-oh. And then you get to the end and it's like, oh, like his, his grandparents had sex with a monkey. And that's why his bloodline is cursed. Miscegenation. Like that's, that's subtle. Yeah. Um, you know, and it kind of it's it's a real shame. And the, a bigger shame, like when you talk about the greater tragedy of this guy, is that like there were signs when you read his letters and stuff that he was getting kind of better. Yeah. And just didn't get a chance to. Mm -hmm. You know, and that that sucks because like. Yeah. You know, we, I've talked about it uh, in relation to social justice stuff, but if there's not room for people to get better, if you just like <laughs> yeah. fuck up once when you're young and then that's it for you, like mm -hmm. there's no there's no point to this yeah. stuff. So like and I get that he didn't get a chance to. And I mm -hmm. and people who are just like, I can't read him or appreciate him because because of this racism stuff. I would never try to convince somebody not to do that. Right. Like, that's fine. I, I mm -hmm. get it. Um, but like he was on a trajectory to get a little bit better. Yeah, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and it just, you know. And then just gave himself like stomach cancer and died. Yeah. You know, um, but yeah, it is uh, it is hard to get around. Luckily, out of the, the three stories we're reading here, they're not the worst offenders by any means. No, um, there's a little bit of stuff in Call of Cthulhu that's a little bit troubling, but like it's not nearly mm -hmm. as bad as it can get. Yeah. So. So all of this is to say that uh, it will be disturbing to modernize uh, uh, yeah. for, for for reasons that were not specifically, I think, intended. Like, um, yeah. yeah, so that is something that you can't really get past. We'll comment on it when it's funny. We are not apologizing for it. We are not um, giving really any no. kind of excuse. But yeah, it's it's an, an important and it's important and perhaps necessary to uh, appreciate a work while simultaneously discussing its more troubling aspects or whatever that paraphrase is like <laughs> we're not going to, we're not going to ignore has the, uh, that's thing, a really but. great quote did the person who say that kind of like get lauded for that uh no actually oh okay the, per the person who said it uh gets death threats constantly okay cool so uh yeah it sucks i just wanted to make sure we were making the right people mad yeah um, the, the, um yeah it, it is a good quote though and it's it's you should keep in mind mm -hmm. um so one of the things too just real quick before we leave the racism thing mm -hmm. um is that uh one of the reasons that I can enjoy the work in spite of it is because, you know, if his whole his whole thing is this, you know, the oldest and strongest fear is fear of the unknown. Right. Mm -hmm. um, that's what racism is, is fear of the unknown. Like if you don't like somebody from mm -hmm. another race, like you probably never actually talk to them. Like whenever I meet somebody who's homophobic or mm -hmm. doesn't think that gay people should be able to get married, I'm just like, man, have you have you met like Doug and Brian? <laughs> like, those, those guys are great. They're made for each other. Their love yeah. is inspiring. Like why? Mm -hmm. What is wrong with you? Um, you know, so it is a fear of the unknown that mm -hmm. causes these, these uh, biases. And uh, it's so 
the fact that it's tied up in fear and he writes things that are I feel like he's tapping into these genuine emotions he has for bad reasons mm -hmm. to write something that inspires the same emotion in me, even though I don't agree with those reasons. Like he's using it as like a fuel almost. Yeah. I don't think it's calculated. I don't think he's just like, haha, I'm not really racist, but I'm doing this. Yeah. He terrible racist. Mm -hmm. But he is tapping into a yeah. real strong emotion that I believe he genuinely felt. That is something that I also feel for different reasons. So it makes yeah. it resonant with me mm -hmm. in a way. And, and every creative person has to hitch their wagon to a different engine, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, we should talk a little bit. We, we said, you know, uh, uh, weird tales. But what the kind of themes, we should kind of go over that. Yeah. Um, and that know, is a good segue from Fear of the Unknown because he hit on that very early on. Yeah. Yeah. It is, uh, you know, that, that classic kind of adage about not knowing actually what's there. Mm -hmm. is uh is all over this um there's a grand theme of insignificance um there's a whole lot of this kind of uh our our frames of references are wrong mm -hmm. um there is we we don't know enough to really understand the universe and when we try to mm -hmm. um if we actually succeed um that's just going to drive us crazy right and uh, we don't need to know that we shouldn't know it mm -hmm. and uh because we are so insignificant yeah he, he seems to be all about, you know, what is kind of beyond the borders of our perception. Yeah. Yeah. And that extends from kind of things that explicitly deal with dreams and sleep and, you know, <laughs> otherworldly gods and different dimensions all the way down to things that rest in the center of the earth. He kind of goes micro and macro with it. Yeah. Yeah. There's stuff everywhere. It's not just like what's on the borders. It's the the border goes on infinitely mm -hmm. longer than the actual canvas. Yeah. You know, so it is uh, we we know nothing is the the kind of idea. And it's uh, it's a religious, which I, re I really respond to. Mm -hmm. um, it is not there aren't really evil creatures yeah. in this. It is always alien motivations, things we can't understand. Yeah. Um, you know, there's uh, it's it's not the it's not the devil. <laughs> right. You know, it's, it's not it's not Dracula, who's like this lusty, you know, mm -hmm. boner monster, who, <laughs> you know, who, who symbolizes all this like kind of like ravishing uh, sex. Yeah. It's these things that we can't even understand what they want. Mm -hmm. So there's no communication. It's just this uh, this force. Mm -hmm. um, and that's super cool. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's important because it's kind of hard to get behind or get scared by things that are explicitly <laughs> horror that explicitly requires you to believe in a Christian cosmology. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've had friends who are really scared of uh, The Exorcist and I, mm -hmm. I, that movie's never done it for me. Yeah. I've tried to watch it and it's just like, it's silly. It's like, oh, the makeup face girl is masturbating <laughs> on the cross. This is goofy as hell. <laughs> now, the exorcism you know? of Emily Rose. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, you can you can do it in a way that but the actual mm -hmm. like just yeah, pre priest are good guys against <laughs> devil bad guys like yeah. just doesn't work for me. And if it works for mm -hmm. you, that's great. But yeah, it doesn't work for me. Mm hmm. Yeah. So this, uh, the, the, again, this manifests with, uh, uh, with these gods and there's this whole mythos that kind of sprung out and influenced a bunch of later authors, you know, uh, a lot of modern horror authors kind of got started writing this fan fiction essentially about this pantheon of gods. Well, well, uh, afterwards and with him too. Yes. So yeah. it's kind of, kind of two, two different things. Like mm -hmm. the August Derleth, who's the guy who did, um, Arkham house publishing, like, mm -hmm is a terrible writer and didn't understand the mythos, like mm. didn't understand his themes, but saved a lot of his work from obscurity, which is really cool and kept yeah. it in print. Um, and that's kind of where a lot of like you run into your, like uh, Stephen King and, and Neil Gaiman and, and stuff who really cite Lovecraft as an influence and, mm -hmm. and work in that mythos. But when he was alive, it's the first, as far as I know, um, 
large scale kind of shared universe, mm-hmm. um, which predates things like um, you wouldn't think of it like comic books, mm-hmm. right? Like when comic books started doing that, that was a big deal. This was the same thing where like in a uh, Robert E. Howard Conan story, yeah. he's fighting a cult that worships a god that's mentioned in passing in like Dagon, you know, so they like and he he loved it. Like he encouraged it. Um, like kids would write him like young, you know, people would write him and say like, hey, I really like this idea. I want to do a story. And he would write back and say, well, write it, send it to me. And I'll tell you what I think and would work with these people. Oh, and he he loved that stuff. Like there's a lot of really charming stories about him uh, helping out, uh, helping out kids or like people who are in really different walks of life. Mm-hmm. Um, because he's, he's got this reputation as being this kind of ghoul, but he had friends and was funny and like, yeah, you know, he had a social life. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he was just very encouraging to people who wanted to do stuff with his work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and to him, he had, it was kind of, uh, mirrors that like, well, there's just more, you know, like mm-hmm. there's not a limited amount of this. Like you're not taking anything from me by mentioning the Necronomicon <laughs> do it. Like, I love that. Then it just makes the universe bigger and cooler. Yeah. You know? Um, so that, that's something that he did that's really important. And I think really rad yeah yeah and you know it's kind of like uh oh back on watch out for fireballs it's a little it's kind of similar to the discussion about uh um the people from id allowing um modding right yeah like yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> there's you know there are reasons probably to hold it close to your chest but like how much do you gain by like letting this thing get a life of its own yeah yeah, and 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 he you know was all about that. I guess what I'm saying is Lovecraft was an open source storyteller. Yeah, yeah, he, he was the John Romero of his time. He just pulls up on like a, a cherry red horse and buggy and just uh, you know oh. with with his with his his model wife Sonia Green just smoking hot. Um, the um, yeah, so it is a. a there are a lot of things like that he did that were really important kind of early themes. Mm-hmm. They're just like, it's so ridiculously big. Like, it's really hard to imagine, <laughs> you know, like, uh, and, and all my favorite stuff too. So like John Carpenter, who's like, makes, you know, some of my favorite horror movies are mm-hmm. all Lovecrafty as shit. Yeah. Like the thing is explicitly Lovecraftian and is so good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like a, it's a perfect horror movie. Yep. You know? Um, yeah. So it just, just waves, tidal waves of influence mm-hmm. out from this guy. Yeah. Tremendous amounts of imagination. Yeah. 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 Um, and also, and just in, you know, responsible for my favorite tabletop role playing game as well. Yeah. Um, which kind of took, was the first, and I mentioned it when we did the tabletop episode, but, <laughs> and in the, the dark corners of the earth episode that like, it's a disempowerment fantasy. <laughs> it's, it's what happens when you are facing things that are so big and what do you have to do when you can't actually face them directly? Yeah. And it just creates a lot of really interesting situations. Yeah. I was shocked actually when we were walking through that, uh, game store in Portland. The mm-hmm. tabletop store. It seemed like every other box was an explicitly Lovecraft inspired thing, Arkham something or other. Yeah, he, he's he's really everywhere. The most recent Magic set um, is all about this uh, the Zendikar place and these uh, Eldrazi, mm-hmm. which are essentially just big cosmic whores. <laughs> don't have an a, affiliation. Like it's just it's everywhere. <laughs> um, like Zeromus. Oh yeah, you know, Final Fantasy four. Like now you're talking my just, language. <laughs> it, 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 it like touches everything. Mm-hmm. Like it, it just it touches everything. Um, you can't really escape it. Yeah. Um, so it's just even if even if you can't support him because of the racism thing or if the prose is too purple for you, which like both of which I understand because yeah. some of the, the prose is really labored. Um, <laughs> purple and stilted. Yeah. It, yeah it's, it's somehow it's it's like a mix of the two best daredevil villains. Um, that's a deep cut. The, um, so uh, but he it, it is if you can't get past that stuff totally understand but i don't think anybody could successfully argue that he's not really important 
yeah. in the world of horror. <laughs> so, so even if his, even if his beliefs were bad and his execution was kind of subpar, which uh, that's echoing kind of arguable in a lot of cases, his ideas are so good. Yeah, like it's, it's unbelievable ideas, <laughs> you know, like down to like, what is it? His commonplace books were those actually a thing yeah. or was that? Yeah, like he just had like book, books where he wrote down one line premises for uh, for stories, right? Mm hmm. Yeah, he and, and and many of them he didn't do anything with, but right. uh, and some of them, I mean, it's just his journal. It was never meant to be published. Mm -hmm. um, and and uh, but some of them are really phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Like are just like this is this is a great hook, <laughs> great story hook. The uh, the thing about things not being meant to be published too that I always try to keep in mind is that like sometimes I'll read something by him and I'm like this is kind of crappy, mm -hmm. uh, but he never published it. Right. Like somebody went through and he like sent it to his friend and his friend was like maybe this needs work and he was like <laughs> yeah it does and didn't get yeah. around to it and then he died and it got published. So like right. the stuff that he was proud of is not necessarily the stuff he's known for mm -hmm. um, always and uh, so I try to give him some grace then too. It's, it's not necessarily yeah. going through this intense editing process. Yeah, it's just kind of, a lot of authors do. It's kind of a kind of a fire sale. Uh, to make yeah. sure everything kind of gets out there and uh, yep. and lives on. And you'll even see that, too. Like, there are stories that are obviously templates for other stories a little bit. Like, yeah. Most explicitly, yeah. like, like <laughs> The Call of Cthulhu is just, like, a retelling of Dagon in a way. Yeah, it's, like, a, a better, more detailed Dagon. Yeah. You know, um, and he and he there's there's multiple stories that kind of nest like that. Mm -hmm. But he was he was a working writer and barely made any money. Like, he was just <laughs> writing to the pulps, you know? Yeah. Um. So... Um, yeah, so we're going to kind of go through these three stories. Um, mm -hmm. We're going to talk about the history of the story a little bit and then how it relates to Bloodborne and Souls. Mm -hmm. um, there'll be some overlap there. You forgive us for when, you know, when that happens. Yeah. Um, we'll try to, to just hit on the key points mm -hmm. and uh, and then talk about kind of that idea in fiction a little bit. Like, what does that influence other things? Yeah. Um, so let's billboard this. We're going to talk about three stories from beyond the Call mm -hmm. of Cthulhu and the Color Out of Space. Yes. Yeah. And uh, I could, like, I chose those i could have mm -hmm. chosen three other stories that would have been almost <laughs> as direct yeah um uh really you know relationship so they are not the only choices yeah or three uh kind of precedents to bloodborne so yeah let's talk about uh from beyond yeah so this one was written in 1920 but this is one of those ones that wasn't published until way late in his life in 1934 mm -hmm. yeah and uh so this is the story um there's this uh we're going to kind of summarize these, but we're going to go quicker. Like if you listen yeah. to the HP Podcraft uh, <laughs> thing that I'm always evangelizing about, I go much quicker than that. Yeah. Um, essentially, it is uh, the narrator telling the story, which is a, a Lovecraftian trope after mm -hmm. the after the event. Um, he had this friend named Crawford uh, Tillinghast, who uh, was uh, in the misguided pursuit of science, um, was working on this device. And they had kind of had this incident. I, I just I love how how he begins with this broad statement about any kind of philosophy or science, which is if you fail, you're depressed because you failed. But if you succeed, you go mad. Yeah, for certain kind of uh, certain kind of sensitive people should never mm -hmm. pursue science. Yeah, or something like that because of, because of that. Mm -hmm. um, again, playing into that uh, knowledge is not always good. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and and he seems to have like this kind of obsession with. Um, uh, like just different people with different interests having different sensitivities. Mm -hmm. Like there's yeah. something inherent in somebody that draws them to something, but makes uh, you know a whole set of things anathema because of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. the narrator is kind of recalling this ranting of his friend of this Tillinghast who is talking about you know his research and how he is trying to uh, basically unlock these vestigial sense organs that it's kind of just puny that mankind is the top 
uh, you know, the, the, the top rung on the food chain or whatever, I just mixed my metaphor, uh, only has these five feeble senses, right? When you have dogs and cats who start at nothing, like, you know, what is outside of our perception? Or right? what, do, what, um, what do dogs and cats stare at? Yes. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's the, they're seeing something that we, they have this lower form of perception, but it's different. Mm-hmm. And like, this is true, right? You run into like, well, there's that shrimp that can see colors that we can't see. Mm-hmm. Things like that. Like this, this is a true thing that we, you know, there are things that we just can't sense right um, around us. And he's just taking that idea and turning it up to eleven. Is that like, you know, we again, like it's like it's, it's essentially like Bradley Cooper and Limitless. Um, the story. <laughs> I, I referenced I referenced that movie two times today. <laughs> um, yeah. So this is Limitless is more or less from Beyond. Um, what if you know instead of using five percent of our senses, we use 05 percent of our senses. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and the the narrator is uh, not all that into this research that his friend is doing. He thinks that it is uh, it is a fool's errand, and it will uh, end. It just it won't end well, right? Well, yeah, and it will end well or end poorly for his friend. Yeah. Like it's not just that it's inherently bad, but like right. hey, this is bad for you. Yeah. You know, like, like, he doesn't sh- know the greater implications, and I guess with that, that I guess that's what I'm what I mean there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when he goes there, he gets a letter uh, going to Tillinghast's house and uh, finds Tillinghast in this kind of emaciated state. And this is something that I think Lovecraft does really well mm-hmm. and is a huge deal in the third story we're going to talk about today is this mm-hmm. uh, description of physical degradation, mm-hmm. um, which I can't speak to the importance of that. It's just really important to me. Like that's <laughs> that's a horror trigger for me yeah. is the way that our bodies fall apart. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, this description of him, again, it's just a shadow of what he'll do later, but it's really pretty affecting. <laughs> yeah. Like this formerly stout guy who is yeah. basically skeletal and his eyes are sunken and he has this lattice of veins across his forehead and his skin is yellow. He's jaundiced. Like he, he has given up something essential of himself in pursuit of this. Yeah. Yeah. And he won't turn on the lights. Right. Uh, which is important. And he's just like, oh, where are the servants? Where, you know, what, what's going on with your house? And uh, he takes him up and explains that uh, he's got this device that can awaken the the pineal gland, which mm-hmm. sounds quaint in retrospect. But at the time <laughs> this was written, we didn't know what that did. There's like all uh, kinds of like mysticism around the pineal gland, though, because like uh, in, in looking this up uh, and by which I mean Wikipedia, <laughs> Descartes mm-hmm. referred to it as uh, the principal seat of the soul and possibly yeah. the third eye. And that was like back in the 1600s. But yeah. in reality, it just regulates sleep. And I don't know if he knew that correlation. <laughs> I feel like he didn't. Right. I don't think he knew that it necessarily regulated sleep. Or if he did, he thought that it would do more. Like that wasn't the end of the story. Yeah. Um, but that's resonant but, with his whole dream fixation too. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. The, you know, that that totally makes sense. And, and that will come up later as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea is that by activating this thing, you'll see things that you won't see. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you start seeing first, you start seeing ultraviolet, right? Uh, which is a color we can't see, but he can see it once this thing is, you know, zapping his, his gland. Once it's attuned. Zap the glandage. <laughs> you got to stroke the pine cone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Buddy. Yeah. <laughs> so as he's tuning this in and as the resonance kind of picks up, this is the this is the wonderful, wonderful thing about the story. He's not looking off into a far distant place, right? Mm-hmm. Like this isn't giving him far sight or second sight. He's seeing things that exist over top of him. Yeah. Like thing creatures and places. Mm-hmm. So it's in this other dimension or whatever, however you want to put it, there is this gigantic temple. Like this huge tomb temple where he's at. 
and there are these like monsters and and the first he sees these kind of jellyfish things and i love the description um of how they move and stuff mm-hmm. how they they are preying on each other yeah. like sometimes they're playful and sometimes they'll <laughs> devour one another yeah how they how they uh drift slowly with some malignant purpose yeah and and they can overlap <laughs> mm-hmm. so they can so i don't know if it, the idea is that he's seeing multiple dimensions mm-hmm. at that point and those two are overlapping or if it's just some kind of power that they have yeah um since but, they're able to obviously be intangible with us mm-hmm. um one goes through him at a point <laughs> Ugh. which is great because he feels it mm-hmm. you know because he because he knows it's there but like the implication here is obviously that like this is happening to him and us all the time right so and we just don't know it so when you think somebody's stepping on your grave <laughs> yeah exactly like, like there could be this eldritch like monster thing floating through you and mm-hmm. you just don't know it overlapping you on some plane that you can't even fathom yeah 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 like this is like <laughs> i wish that i would have read the story before we did uh psyops for watch out for fireballs because this is oh, exactly yeah. aura beast yeah yeah again there's there's <laughs> another uh and if only it had gone as well in that game as it did does in the story and, and what's kind of funny about that or creepy too is that uh tillingast informs him that uh, you have to be sure to stand still because if you can see them and he talks about like the beams hitting you, so I guess there's some kind of light that shines through from the other side. Is this equal and opposite reaction? Uh, they can see you. Yeah, yeah. So that's you know that's kind of this uh, you know the big twist. Like early on, the early Lovecraft stuff always has this kind of really pat twist <laughs> in it, and that's one of the things he says. And there's another one coming a little bit later. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you know you have to stay still. And and Tillinghast is going crazy at this point. Yeah, and just ranting insanely. Um, the uh, the HP Podcraft episode of it has Andrew Lehman uh, doing the voice of him, who's a really he's the guy who does the HP Lovecraft Historical Society, and he's really really great, um, and he does a really good uh, Tilling Ask. Um, the narrator says he was held up once in East Providence, and uh, so he has a gun with him. Um, that's another thing that early kind of slightly weaker Lovecraft does is explain every detail that doesn't need to be explained. <laughs> right, like, necessarily. Like he could have just been scared when he went, you mm-hmm. know, and had a gun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which is just like or could have just could have just had a gun yeah exactly yeah, yeah. Or, or i mean it didn't even need to be a gun based mm-hmm. on what happened right like it could have been you know but um yeah yeah so he's you know the the servants are supposed to be this this hanging question and uh tilling explains what happened <laughs> right so remember how tilling did not want you to turn the turn on the lights before mm-hmm. well uh turns out that one of the uh cleaning women uh turned on a light and that resonance caused not just her but most of the other servants to kind of be raptured out of their clothes yeah they get they get disintegrated mm-hmm. um which again is a super cool image to just <laughs> find like you know you have the lights off because of this experiment mm-hmm. the light goes on you run downstairs there's a pile of clothes next to the light switch mm-hmm. that you recognize from somebody yeah that's super cool oh man um and this kind of uh tilling has to going crazy like the machine is is intensifying you know and the overlap is increasing and uh tilling has is going really really crazy and is just saying like hey you know when i needed support for this stuff you weren't there for me um which is kind of true uh you know as, as a a thing so it's it's like this real thing that you could be feeling but amped up to 11 yeah you know sleep deprivation and and yeah and also he could feel like isolated right like as he is driven into his research like he could very much be saying like why didn't you try and stop me too oh totally yeah <laughs> like, like he's got the purple crazies yeah that, that you <laughs> the get from the machine yep. oh yes yeah, like, the, the machine does glow even though there, there is no electricity associated with what it does yeah yeah <laughs> the um 
so so you know he's ranting and stuff and he's saying uh you know i've been able to see the like the bigger beast mm-hmm. like the, the you know just uh look behind you there's there's a thing here like you think that it was those jellyfish that do it but those things are nothing <laughs> like they're actually bigger things and uh he's trying to goad um the narrator into turning around um and seeing the thing that's sneaking up on him yeah um and this just becomes too much and our main character uh kind of pulls out his gun and fires yeah yeah and then uh you know in the end um you know you think that he shot his his friend uh but he didn't um he actually shot the machine mm-hmm. um and tillinghouse actually had a, had a stroke had apoplexy yeah and uh so the 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 authorities were involved i love i love it when authorities get involved in a lovecraft story oh yeah <laughs> yeah well sometimes it really works like the next story we're going to talk about like the authorities kind of kick ass oh yeah during a part you know but like usually it's it's pretty silly mm-hmm. yeah um, but they come in and they you know they, they, they've got him for questioning right like hey what happened and he's reticent to really explain because he doesn't want to be committed Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, they say, actually, well, you're in the clear, even though you fired the bullet, he didn't die. But uh, he does not, in fact, live free for the rest of his life, because now he has this knowledge that whenever he's, you know, breathes clean air, whenever he uh, (laughs) sees a blue sky, wherever he perceives emptiness, there is, in fact, just this awful stuff that is waiting to claim you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's and it's always been there, Mm -hmm. you know. It, it kind of gives lie to the piece that you had before even. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the last line twist, which he does in those early stories where it's mm-hmm. like, I knew it was true because they never found out what happened to the servants. And that's supposed <laughs> to be like the dun, dun, dun. And up until this point, you already had enough dun, 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 I think. <laughs> yeah. But he, like, I, like, I just really wish that he had had somebody around to be like, no, 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 strike that last line. Because <laughs> um, there, there's a bunch of his stories where the last line kind of ruins it. Mm-hmm. Like, if, if, unless you can ignore it. But, like, it totally passed below my eyes. Like, okay, yeah. cool. Well, there's, there's some corroborating evidence. Like, the thing that I assumed happened, happened. Yeah, he, it's like he's writing with, um, like, a very harsh skeptic in mind. Mm-hmm. Like, he just projects somebody questioning everything he says, mm-hmm. um, which which plays into the fact that he, was, you know, had a lot of problems with confidence and, and stuff. Like, he was, yeah. you know, so that ends up making sense. But that mm-hmm. ends up being uh, from beyond. Yeah. Um, so, so you know, the people, the, the, you know, the bright kids in the audience who are listening to this know why this is important to, to Bloodborne. <laughs> Um, but that's just hmm. spell it out, Cole. Well, um, sometimes the eyes that we have are not good enough, especially if you are trying to ascend beyond, you know, the, the the kind of feeble flesh bag that we are. Right? Sometimes you either need eyes on the inside uh, to gain insight into the world around you, or hmm. you know, you need eyes in a box that sits next to a chair in an attic. Yeah, this this is doing by machine the same thing that. Uh, you know, the, the church, you know, or, or uh, the college, rather, the Bernworth mm-hmm. College was trying to do. Right. And Bloodborne, um, you know, and the, the game does that the wonderful job. And we, we, <laughs> we talked a lot of sugar about it. But as you gain this, this insight, it's not just enough to drive you crazy. Like you actually see things that were always there. Right. Um, you know, is the implication like with the uh, the church, uh, you know, the cool, cool church guys with the hats, mm-hmm. slick willies. Um, <laughs> Those guys, you know, it's possible those eyeballs weren't always there because they mm-hmm. don't actually do the attacks. Right. But the uh, the, Omni- the lesser amygdalas were always there yeah. because, you know, they're in the places where that we've gotten captured by them mm-hmm. before. But as you open up this third eye, this penal gland or what have you, by whatever means, you start seeing these things that are overlapping with our reality. Right. And you can, you know, you can have 40 insight, go see one of those, go spend one or get it drained and then it will mm-hmm. disappear. Yeah. You know, it is it is just uh, it is this toggle. 
similar to how it is in, in from the from beyond yeah there's no narrative event that causes those things to spawn it's not like they invade after rom dies you know and after yeah the work well of... i mean they do like they, they show up at, at that point so there mm -hmm. is but you can see them before then right right i guess i guess that's what i mean <laughs> like, yeah it's, it's rom not, dying is not like that. it like a, is, is not like the ontology behind why they're there yeah yeah, yeah. they were there before mm -hmm. you just couldn't see them so yeah. that's kind of the direct direct tie mm -hmm. um and then from beyond is also a story i like to recommend to people because it's so short yeah um it's not it's barely a story it's just like a scene exactly um you know and uh it's it, you can get through it really quick and i just think it's a super cool idea yeah i agree i was very happy to have read this um yeah 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 cool so let's talk about uh what is probably one of his most popular um stories the call of cthulhu yeah yeah uh written in 1926 and published in 1928 mm -hmm. um i just uh, i re-listened i didn't get a chance to reread this i read it before but with the the move and stuff i didn't have access to all my things mm -hmm. um but i listened to the uh the podcast about it oh real quick mm -hmm. actually uh have you ever seen the from beyond movie oh the uh, uh Stuart, Stuart gordon no i have yeah. not but i saw his name attached to it and i was like i need to see that it's amazing. Huh. Like, it's not very accurate. <laughs> well, it's how could really it be? Weird. It would be five minutes long. The, uh, the, the, the device that Tillinghast has, in addition to, like, creating these things, also drives everyone into a sex trance. Oh, nice. Like, and, and then the guy who gets the actual, like, gets activated by it. There's this whole half of the movie where, like, you, you really have to see it. But he's just, yeah. like, this crazy mutant that has this eye that comes out of his forehead. Oh man! Like it, it just like splits his forehead and buds like like a new, you know, shoot in spring. Um, it's it's really special. That's uh, that's one of the ones he made in the eighties too, right? Yeah, nice. Yeah. All the all the Stuart Gordon Lovecraft stuff I think is pretty good. Mm -hmm. I've seen um, his Dagon. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure I talked about Dagon when we did uh, uh, Dark Corners. Yeah, um, but I'm a defender of Dagon, and then Reanimator is obviously really cool. Yeah, Ca uh, Castle Freak. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, no, I haven't seen Castle Freak. That's okay. actually the the only one I haven't seen. It's so good. Um, so, yeah, I, I will watch that at some point. And that would also be like a five minute story if it was mm -hmm. actually based on the short story <laughs> of the same name. But mm -hmm. um, real quick, though. So the uh, Call of Cthulhu. <laughs> also, listened... also real quick, I imagine a movie ver like another movie version of From Beyond being like a horror version of My Dinner with Andre. <laughs> tell me more <laughs> show me more show me more show me less show me less, <laughs> show me less. that button is broken uh, <laughs> <laughs> no it's it's your estranged friend who you haven't seen in a while you know yeah. go ahead i'm sorry there are a bunch of from beyond adaptation adaptations that are more accurate because mm -hmm. like his short stuff i've gone to the film festival a couple of times and i have some dvd compilations of short films and like that and like the music of eric zahn and cool air and stuff like a lot of these kind of short scene based stories yeah. get adapted and uh, every year when they do the film festival, they actually do a Lovecraft under the gun mm -hmm. thing where it's a competition for people to uh, write, shoot and edit um, like a Lovecraftian short in 72 hours. Oh, nice. And they're not always adaptations like they're, you know, sometimes they're they're just inspired by. That's good. But a lot of times people will choose like from beyond or yeah something like that. <laughs> Uh, you mentioned the cool air there. That's one of my favorite Lovecraft stories that I've read because it is about his fear of air conditioners. <laughs> you should be scared of that modern technology. Um, yeah. They didn't have it in old England. They shouldn't have it in new England. Um, yeah. Uh, but, uh, and he wore suits everywhere, too. Like, he had to have smelled bad. Oh, you might he just... always wore, like, a full suit. That's what they never tell you about uh, time travel stories. Yeah. It's well, even and, and they, usually they say that about like the you know sixteen hundred like dark mm -hmm. ages. It's like of course it did. People just put shit everywhere. Yeah. But like well, I think even about, like I, I think about that when I look at Mad Men too. Oh yeah. Like... Yeah. You guys are wearing like four layers, and it's summer. Like <laughs> it's stop. New York. Yeah. T-shirts, dog. <laughs> um, the uh, 
But uh, Call of Cthulhu, the publishing story is really interesting because mm-hmm. he didn't really like it very much. And uh, Farnsworth, who's the guy who did uh, uh, Weird Tales magazine, didn't want to publish it. But another guy kind of tricked him into doing it by saying, like, oh, a lot of other magazines are looking at it and kind of <laughs> tricked him into doing it. So that's the reason why we got this story. Mm-hmm. Um, and it could have been like we we might not have gotten it until uh, uh, what's his head got his hands on it. Yeah. Until Durlith. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's kind of kind of got an interesting story in how it was made, and and it's mm. weird that Lovecraft doesn't like it because I think this is one of the stronger, uh, stronger stories he's done. Yeah, this was done in multiple parts, right? Yeah, this yeah this is um no I don't think it was published in multiple parts. Oh okay. Um, it, yeah, I don't think this is one of those. It has like a three act structure structure like it, it seems like it would have been serialized like Reanimator was. Yeah yeah some of the stuff is but I don't think this is. Yeah. Um, but this has a really huge like really famous opening and a lot of famous mm-hmm. lines in this this yeah. one in general but the opening is really you know, really kind of known. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is that there is, if there's one kindness in the world, it's that our minds cannot correlate the world's entire contents. Right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, and he, the, the writer of this says like, I don't intend to do that, um, with this, but well, that in the end, it, it seems like it's funny, but in the end it makes a sense because, oh. uh, we're, well, cause he, at the end, he, the guy who has this thing that we're supposed to be reading, he tells him to burn it. Mm. Um, he just didn't. So yeah. the idea is that this is continuing to spread. Like, yeah. I think that's like an extra layer of, of the horror is that like, yeah. this was supposed to be burned. Why am I reading it? That, yeah, that, that, that's that's why I laughed because I knew how yeah. it ended. <laughs> yeah, yeah. not It wasn't a, it wasn't a goof. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, and it's one of those killing jokes I've heard yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. The joke is kidding. <laughs> um, yeah. So let's uh, let's talk about Call of Cthulhu. Yeah. So again, we have this narrator who is telling the story after the fact, or at least writing this down. Um, and this is a story that is kind of multiple different layers of secondhand accounts and correspondence. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this the, the this main character we're viewing it through his eyes as he kind of uncovers the story that his own um, great uncle. Uh, discovery this george gamel angel who uh um you know our narrator was called to sort out his affairs after he died mysteriously climbing up a hill in his neighborhood i thought he died he died because he ran into a uh, seafaring negro he ran into a sailor who happened to be black he was uh, he the implication he was is he was chased like he ran into it and he was running up a steep hill and there was a lesion across his heart okay yeah, yeah. I, th- I thought I thought it was it was that he just like bumped into him, but <laughs> it's been it's been a little while since I read this one. Yeah, specifically. Um, yeah, and so inside this box are all these letters and this manuscript, and then a bar relief. Yes. Um, real quick as a plug too, and I will never afford it, but the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society has recreated this box. Oh yeah. With with all his like period appropriate props and everything mm. like you can have the experience of getting this box <laughs> as the narrator if you want to spend enough money um and it looks really great i like to think i'm less superstitious than i am that seems like tempting fate <laughs> it would be like it would be a rad afternoon like that would be yeah. like i would larp for that and it would just be me like nobody would be there i'd just be like okay i'm turning off the phone and stuff and just pretending like i got this for the day yeah um so yeah so this this bar relief uh was brought by this professor by an odd uh psychically hypersensitive boy named yeah. wilcox yes this sculpture um, this or the, this uh the sculptor yeah there we go yeah yeah <laughs> and uh you know he's he had these dreams mm-hmm. wilcox yeah did. and he claims to have uh carved this uh uh the, this bas relief in a dream right yeah you know and 
Angel is like, hey, I am a study of Semitic languages. I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm an archaeologist. Uh, why are you bringing this to me? It looks very new. And another famous line here is dreams are older than brooding Tyre or the or the contemplative Sphinx or the garden girdled Babylon. So he yeah. is he is channeling this thing and channeling this design, which uh, horrifies everybody who looks at it. Yeah, it's just it's just un you know unnerving to look at. Mm-hmm. And and at first, you know, he's about to dismiss him, but then he says uh, Cthulhu Fatagan, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, something he dreamed. And that perks him up. Right. Because, you know, because that's it's got this power. <laughs> yes. And so the bas-relief, what it portrays is this squid-headed, bat-like creature. Everybody's seen it on ThinkGeek. Everybody knows what Cthulhu looks like. But it yeah. is a bas-relief of Cthulhu with these runes, these, you know, uh, this language that cannot be deciphered. It is not known to even the scholar of ancient languages. Yeah. Yeah. And and what the description of Cthulhu is a little different than his popular culture version. Like Yes. One of the things I like that they kept is that he's fat. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's this, he's this blubbery monster, mm-hmm. but uh, he's supposed to recall more of a dragon. Yes, I feel like in the story, so yeah. it is, is supposed to be slightly scarier seeming, I think, than than the versions we often than this see. Hunched over man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that we often see, mm-hmm. but uh, it's really really unnerving. Um, at some point, uh, Wilcox falls into this delusional state. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for a while. And uh, when he wakes up, he no longer he had no dreams and he can't remember his dreams. Right. He lost that period of time. He lost the entire thing. Like, so he doesn't he was he was a vessel. This thing, whatever it is, is talking to him Mm -hmm. in his dreams and and making him an agent. And it was a period of time. It was like from like March 30th through April the 2nd. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty intense. Yeah. And those dates are important because everything that we're going to find out about, like from this point forward. Um, with the exception of the uh, the adventures of Inspector Legrasse, uh, kind of happens during this time of kind of like global psychic resonance. Yeah, yeah, things are going going crazy. Yeah, like people, you know, artists and people who are sensitive are having nightmares and making really dark work. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you know there are earthquakes mm-hmm. and uh, you know riots and things like that. Like it's just a period of of tumult. Yeah, and uh, it's specifically it is affecting you know creative people's dreams. Mm-hmm. Like, if you are sensitive, it's getting you. Yeah. So, like, the salt of the earth, your regular New England uh, dullard, does Those not trash. have anything. <laughs> yes. I can't stand them. <laughs> Go back and, to Dunwich. And, and, uh, and Angel, he, uh, uh, he's pulling his correspondence, right, asking about his dream, uh, asking about their dreams, all the way up to scientists have a little bit, artists have the most, and there was even one architect who I think either uh, just screamed himself to death or jumped off of a building. So architects yeah. are implied to be just especially uh, yeah, they, sensitive to this. They can't handle it at all. Right. Um, so we move on to chapter two um, mm-hmm. with uh, with our protagonist here, Inspector Legrasse, mm-hmm. um, who goes to an archaeologist conference and uh, he brings a Cthulhu idol. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea is he's trying to find somebody, you know, who knows what this is. Yeah. This was like 17 years ago um, <laughs> in the present day of the story. And uh, this happens to be a conference that Angel was at. Yes. So, again, we're going one layer deeper. And um, uh, everybody kind of perks up because this thing is loathsome. It's it's, it's this soapy green stone of this horrible-looking beast. Nobody can identify what it's made of. Nobody can, you know, identify the craftsmanship behind it. It's way too perfect in a lot of ways. Yeah, and everybody's just kind of uncomforted by looking at it Mm. um, here. And Legrasse is here to tell the story, um, you know, of this. He raided this voodoo cult. Yeah, um, down in in New Orleans. Yeah, and 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 one of the the people who were there had a uh, uh, 
interaction with some Eskimos. Yeah, at, at some point, one of the people at the at the conference who had interactions that uh, very closely matched this. Yeah, and he he translates the the words that he had on there, which says something like, um, you know, dead Cthulhu sleeps. Mm-hmm. You know, and and, and the sunken city of really yeah, dead Cthulhu. Yeah, sleeps, something like so, that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, so then we get the story of Inspector Legrasse, which mm-hmm. I really love this part. Yeah, um, it's real actiony. It's it's very like this story has tons of action in it. Mm-hmm. Um, like it, there aren't there's like one uh, uh, the Dunwich Horror has yep. like it ends with a climax where the good guys kind of win. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the only other story I can think of that has like this much action. Yeah. And then the chase in, in Shadows Over Innsmouth, of course. Right. But um, it's very actiony, and the description of the swamp. <laughs> like does it for me yeah like this is this is scary and there are like things in the swamp too there are mm-hmm. like winged creatures and there's this like glowing like vaguely phosphorescent flabby like bigger monster mm-hmm. there and the people are all like low-bred hillbillies mm-hmm. and stuff yeah uh, which you know again like say what you will uh but there is something like that's the same thing that's scary about like deliverance yep you know or something like that like that's not exclusive to lovecraft's racism mm-hmm. Yeah. To be scared of, of, or, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre or something like that, or yeah. The Hills Have Eyes. Like, that's something that works on me. Yeah. I'm, or I'm House scared of a Thousand being... Corpses. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to. We don't want to exclude Rob, Robert Zombie. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't want to get up any House of a Thousand Corpses. So, like, <laughs> that works on me as this just kind of like, oh, there are degenerate people who worship. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, fucking Point Lookout mm-hmm. in, in Fallout 3. Like, th- this is everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, like, that. that's. That's explicitly this. Yeah. Unless we get too progressive talking about how classist he was as well. He makes a point to talk about uh, African immigrants and uh, um, uh, mixed race people as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 yeah, it's not just classism. Mm-hmm. There's also some racism here um, as yeah. well. So the, the people who, you know, they get this guide to take them out there. And the people who are uh, in the swamp are doing these rituals and banging these tom-toms. And uh, the <laughs> description's really great because the uh, uh, these things, these creatures, these uh, this pale, you know, glowing creature and these winged things are watching too. Mm-hmm. Like they see them out of the corner of their eye, but like they're not the focus of the story. We never no. figure out those things. No, they they just kind of retreat back into the back into the earth. From what yeah, I they're can not tell. even. They're not even important. Like it's <laughs> yeah. it's it's super cool. What's more important uh, is like he's there inspecting like these you know these these disappearances, right? And he finds the bodies strung up in these ghoulish, insulting ways. Yeah, yeah, and they're all worshiping this this little this little statue that yeah. it brings. It's a tiny um, statue on this massive obelisk. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just a little Cthulhu action figure that Cthulhu had printed up from that custom action <laughs> yes, figure like, that he brought with him in his bag from the stars. Yeah, he made him. Yeah, um, <laughs> your star bag. Yeah, it's <laughs> your big old star bag. Um, so they they do a raid like it's straight mm-hmm. up like hey, and they uh, they arrest like half the cultists, mm-hmm. um, you know, and they're outnumbered, but it's this big melee. Um, and eventually they get him and they, they are interrogating this guy named old Castro, mm-hmm. um, who has been with the cult. And, uh, he kind of lays out this really explicit Cthulhu mythos thing that <laughs> is important, you know, hugely influential, yeah. um, you know, in everything, which is, uh, <laughs> this, this idea of the old ones that came to earth, um, their bodies are still hidden, like, but they came from the stars yeah. and, uh, they're still here and mm-hmm. just waiting to wake up. Cthulhu is dead and asleep kind of at the same time yeah. in the sunken city of Relier. Yeah, that is that which is dead can eternal lie, though over many eons even death may die. Yep, that was off the top of my head. That's, that's good. <laughs> Thank you. The, um, yeah. The uh, <laughs> so and then there's all these other little details where like, well, you know, we got you for the the murders and stuff, and they're like, oh, we didn't murder anybody. <laughs> like we strung them up, and they did. Like the, the winged things did it. Yeah. You know, so and it, it kind of accounts for the the terrible ways that they were mm-hmm. killed. You know, like 
these are this is just a cult and yeah. uh as much as cults are huge in, in games and kind of media based on on lovecraft stuff they don't show up all that often no they're really kind of like working in the background almost yeah. like they're they're more agents that don't really have any agency they're just kind of waiting and trying to control the knowledge of these things yeah. more so it seems like yeah and they're not like you know mystic cults they're not like high-minded or anything they're represented as kind of more of like these these thugs or goons <laughs> well yeah because, because the the way that they they say um, they're like once uh, the great ones reemerge, mm-hmm. they're going to put us back in touch with this like animal nature. Right. Like the idea is that they're gonna we're gonna scream and and when they when they actually when they interrupted the the ritual, there were like people speaking with animal voices mm-hmm. and stuff, and they're gonna bring us close to that. And there's like a line where it's like, teach us new ways to kill. Right. And things like it's just this 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 is like the basis. <laughs> you know, this is a, this is not seeking enlightenment. You know, again, like it is in Bloodborne, this is mm-hmm. seeking beasthood. Yeah, this is this is this is climbing down the ladder. Yeah, yeah, this is this is very much the beast within Gabriel Knight Two Adventure. Exactly, <laughs> and and this the city, you know, Cthulhu is under the water. Mm-hmm. Um, at some point, he's going to rise. That water is yeah. not going to be there. Yes, and uh, it's going to be a bad scene. Right now, we're just getting the dreams. Right. So, like, we get the sense that the city is on the rise, and you yeah. know this this whole event is kind of correlated by the by the stars, right? The, the, this, yeah. This tidal action is going to draw this out of the surface of the earth with its own gravity, and this this water is acting as kind of insulation yep. um, between the, the the psychic thoughts of Cthulhu and the people who are sensitive to it. So these cultists know about it, but people who are not even aware that this exists are feeling the effect again, tidal like. Um, so the narrator is just like, well, that's weird. Uh, but then he accidentally sees a, uh, just happens to see a newspaper clipping um, <laughs> yeah. that has the statue. <laughs> right. It is a little like a half tone print out of the statue. I love the idea because he, it's, it's like, oh, woe is me. But for this cosmic accident and his eye just happened to like glance across this thing, it's literally the same thing that happens in the repairer of reputations. Oh where yeah. The main character, yeah. like he read the first act of, uh, of the yellow King. And uh, he was not going to continue, but he caught the first line as the book dropped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, like, the, 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 this awesome little thing, like, one little drop of knowledge will yep. kind of pollute the whole pool. Yeah, and, and, you're, and you're, you know, they're drawn to it, too. Like, yeah. at first, I want to dismiss this as a dumb coincidence, but, like, yeah. no, it, it, there's psychic stuff. Yeah, and the, 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 the narrator throughout this entire thing is constantly, as a mantra, reaffirming how skeptical he was. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, and... I know this sounds crazy. Yeah. Um, so he's going there's a, the in this newspaper clipping, they found a new island mm-hmm. and uh, it's in, in New Zealand. And he wants to go find this this uh, this person mm-hmm. who had this experience and they, they had this this uh, statue. Yeah. And the and dates, goes the, on the... the dates line up with uh, Wilcox's fugue state. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the, he wants to go on this globe trotting kind of adventure to figure things out. Um, and, uh, he goes and he finds a diary. The actual, the captain has died. Yes. Um, and it talks about him, um, his ship and these mysterious, uh, circumstances mm-hmm. where, uh, their, their ship was, was overtaken by right. these, by these other, these, uh, what is it? Um, not Newfoundland, like Greenland or something like that. Like it's from like an area. It's, it's not a mixed race people. <laughs> Hmm. It's 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 some you know some Norwegian. I, I I forget. No, the the uh, it's it's actually like he's Johansson. Like he 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 is an, uh, a Norwegian or um, kind of Scandinavian captain, hmm. right? Who's down there? His crew is Scandinavian. It's these uh, it's kind of like these South Pacific Islanders who are oh, okay. who who are kind of like rolling around where Rolier is supposed to be. Well, the important thing is they're not black. <laughs> so <laughs> the um, 
Uh, <laughs> oh, no, no, the important thing is that they're not white. Yeah, 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 yeah. I guess that's true. Yeah. The um. So they 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 the city like rises. Yeah. Right. He's telling the story about this, and they they land on it, and it has uh, non-Euclidean geometry. Right. Um. This is the first time that phrase has shown up in reference to architecture. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, yeah. which is which is a trope. Yeah. Now. And they're describing angles that ought not be. They're describing uh, staircases that are not sized nor shaped for any human um to to navigate them. Hmm. And th- there's a there's a part later where there's a, a an angle that uh, was acute, but it behaved as if it was obtuse. Yes, and a man is swallowed up by it. The, uh, <laughs> if, if you, so, I'm just have you seen geometry the, um, class. the um the silent movie? No, I have not. I, I hadn't seen it. I just watched it before we recorded. Mm-hmm. Um, and they show that, and it works. Like it's through like an optical illusion. It looks like mm-hmm. he just falls into uh, uh, an obtuse angle, like or oh. something, or an acute angle like something that would be sticking out like a, a convex uh-huh and it behaves as if it's con concave and it's really oh, cool. that's awesome that's some like cabinet of dr caligari shit. yeah exactly yeah. it's just and that's how they do all of this stuff yeah in the, the movie the movie's really cool mm-hmm. um but it looks like he shouldn't be able to fall into it but he does yeah um and that's a uh, it's a uh, chris lackey it's the guy from the the podcast hmm. they, they both acted in this movie oh wow so um yeah pfeiffer is a uh, wilcox when, when when was this made uh 2005 Oh, okay. I, I, you said silent movie, and I was picturing contemporaneous with the silent film era. No, no, no. They made it there. The the whole thing that the historical society does is make the movies as if they were movies made when the the story came out. Okay. So they did a talkie. They did um uh the whisper in the darkness, and it's great. Oh. Um, and that's that's well worth anybody's time. Hmm. Who's that, who's listening to that? It's really good. But the the silent film is really good too. It's like forty five minutes long. Um, you can find it streaming online fairly easily. Um, nice. you know, or buy it because they're worth, uh, worth supporting. <laughs> yeah, I didn't because I didn't have time. They're worth probably the $2 that it costs. <laughs> yeah. And totally. more. Yeah. 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 But, um, as they kind of go about this, they find this large door that, uh, um, kind of appears to both be, you know, set into the ground and also set at an angle to it. And mm-hmm. it's so gigantic. And like the, 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 the description of their antics as they try and open this, uh, is, is, is hilarious, but there's an awesome, an awesome line about this because they managed to open this door. The gates are open, right? Yeah. The, the, yeah. <laughs> the they stars, pick up their weapons and fight. <laughs> the stars are right again. And it went and what an age old cult had failed to do by design. A band of innocent sailors had done by accident after vigintillions of years. Great Cthulhu was loose again and ravening for delight. Yeah. Ravening for delight. Oh, so good. That's really good. Like, <laughs> like there's a lot of people talk about, cause it's not like Lovecraft prose is really purple. Mm hmm. Um, but he can turn a phrase like he, mm-hmm. there are some really beautiful sentences that happen. Yeah. And these things like he not always mm-hmm. like and you have to get through some like s- some kind of tedious architecture description sometimes. <laughs> but every once in a while, he'll turn a phrase that's just like this yeah. is really good writing. Just like in the you know? span of a couple of words, he will say far more than he ought to be able to do yeah, with that economy. Huge. Yeah. Huge economy of, of, of word choice mm-hmm. from time to time when yeah. he's not doing the opposite of that. <laughs> um, so this is, this is, you know, a straight up just monster encounter, which doesn't mm-hmm. happen that often. Um, you know, and they are trying to get away from this Cthulhu yeah. and he just immediately like two of them get devoured. Yeah. And the yeah. end, uh, like, uh, four more of them die of fright. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just like, it is, it is too much. Yeah. Um, so Johansson makes his way to the ship. I love the description and... of the smell here too, because there's this miasma that pours out. 
as though mm-hmm. it were a tomb like just the, yeah. like the 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 way they you the way he uses all the senses to really encapsulate and like there's not really much description of what he actually looks like in person we get some of the uh of the idol but when there's that like when when it's cthulhu himself after he jumps into the ship and you know makes his attack on him like we get the sense that there's no real form to this thing yeah yeah he's really plasticine mm-hmm. um like he moves around and nobody can look at it you know like you can't you can't take a you know can't really take a glance at it yeah they're going crazy um he gets in his ship and tries to get away um but cthulhu is chasing him and then he does the most badass thing imaginable (laughs) which is ram him (laughs) with his ship um which is just like you don't expect that kind of proactive aggression yeah in these stories but it happens <laughs> it was his only option because he was trying to build up the steam right this is a steam yeah. ship, and he you know he, he couldn't get away but he could turn you know and, yeah. and like drive into it so it wasn't yeah. fast enough to get away but he did have enough velocity to do some real damage and you get the sense that he breaks him apart yeah yeah he kind of, he kind of yeah he kind of burst or kind of dissipates mm-hmm. a little bit and uh and then eventually kind of reforms mm-hmm. um, there. But it's not he's not dead. Like right. it's not like he he wounded Cthulhu and then Cthulhu lies dying at the bottom of the ocean. Right. He just inconveniences him. Mm-hmm. So if he if he's not um dead or diminished by this, then why does Rillier fall? Um, like probably because it was, you know, this collective, you know, psychic power of Cthulhu mm-hmm. who was bringing it up. So he is inconvenienced. Like it puts oh. him back to sleep is how I read it. Oh, okay. There we go. So, yeah. So yeah. he doesn't kill him, but like that, like that's, that's the lingering horror beyond this is, is yeah. that it is still alive, that he could have crawled back in to regenerate and who knows how long that will take. Exactly. Like the stars are right. It makes all this stuff happen. Like mm-hmm. the sailors were probably acting on under, you know, not through their own influences, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, made this thing happen. But one of them managed to fight back long enough just to put it off. Right. And then the stars turned a little bit and the stars were wrong. Yeah. You know, so while, <laughs> While he was a uh, 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 recon- reconstituting or whatever, mm-hmm. the stars changed and Relier started to sink yeah. again. There we go. That, that 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 makes sense. But it is through this kind of singular act of panic that turns into heroism that you know Johansson saves the Earth. For yeah, now. like I, that. That's for really now. understated in this. Like it is. This is a huge victory. <laughs> um, but he doesn't get away scot free because because nobody does. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so he's driven insane. He has horrible dreams. Uh, for the rest of his, you know, very short mm-hmm. life, and he dies in a very similar manner, uh, manner to Angel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the author knows what's going on, and now that he he kind of knows this, he's saying, uh, you know, this is too much. Nobody needs to know about this. This is going to inspire cults, and <laughs> very knowledge drives you insane. Uh, please burn this before it reaches a broader audience. Yeah, don't publish this, August or <laughs> Like Farnham. I know this is a strange tale, but don't you dare do it. And then they didn't follow the advice. Nope. So and like, now it is out, and now you have this too, and you're carrying this burden around. Yeah, so now you know this. So it implicates the audience in like mm-hmm. a super cool way. Yeah. And Gary, you don't have to put this on the show notes, but I have to uh, I have to say uh, this does bear some resemblance to House of, uh, House of Leaves. Oh, yeah. Where it is one person who is kind of recounting and um, interpreting these documents that he's finding. And it opens up with uh, the kind of not viewpoint character, but one layer of the narrative saying, like, you know, if you are smart at all, you will close this book. Um, if you're not too smart, you'll read this, but then go on and eat, drink and be merry and forget that it ever happened. But some, you yeah. know, if you let it get its hooks in you. You know, yeah, this, it's, the, it's this, this idea that there is that, again, it's very Lovecraftian. There is this knowledge that will fundamentally change you for the worse. Yep. 
Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's the end of uh, of Call of Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. Like that, that happens there. Um, this like the the primary reason why I thought of this in relation to Bloodborne is this idea of the thing being held back by water. Yes, like this thing being, uh, you know, being bulwark through a large body of water, mm-hmm. and that shows up again and again in, in Bloodborne, mm-hmm. and is true here as well. There's also like the uh, the the astral bodies and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm having some kind of effect on this like the 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 whole notion of the moon and its relation to the dream and the, the kind of the pull that it has and we understand uh that that is because of uh kind of things that are bigger than the moon itself um mm-hmm. and bigger than the world even um but yeah like th- all these things the 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 tidal bodies are related to the old ones yeah and 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 finally just the idea of the old ones mm-hmm like the, the you know the, this is the cult that introduces like Lovecraft has a bunch of stories where he mentions these gods, but this is the first time they capture a cultist who says what the gods mm-hmm. are planning to do. Yeah, you know, and then there's the idea that there are these these old ones, and uh, that's that's straight up what the Thumerians were trying to you know get with, mm-hmm. uh, get get Thumeri with. But yeah, so those those kind of ideas are really resonant. Mm-hmm. Uh, for bloodborne yeah and also so, the idea that there is this thing that is resting deep uh, you know deep beneath the earth right like they the Thumerians, if they were digging down deep enough they would have found a Briatus, right yeah yeah and yeah. even even the the initial kind of sculptures you see sculptures that recall cthulhu yeah in in bloodborne they're not exactly it but mm-hmm. you do see some kind of like yeah similar kind of posture and, and everything like that yeah and i can't quite figure out if uh like the the enemies in latria like the mind flayers are mm-hmm. uh referencing cthulhu or if they're referencing mind flayers by way of the mind flayers from D that are referencing cthulhu yeah yeah yeah. yeah that's direct yeah like those things are just, even mm-hmm. even abritas is really mm-hmm. kind of cthulhu like yeah the um, uh the vanguard demon as well um yeah. has that kind of forms all the pasakas yeah 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 um yeah, yeah so there, there's a it's it's funny how how many of his demons are like these appropriations of appropriate that's a weird word to use uh these different versions of deep sea creatures right well, like that is what he snapped to as this horrific otherworldly thing recognizing that deep sea is the closest thing that we have to outer space on our planet yeah it, it's because the deep sea is terrifying yes <laughs> like it is uh i'm doing this uh, i'm doing a class uh water in the environment which is how i got to go to that thrilling tour to the wastewater treatment plant <laughs> and for the rest of the class we're uh studying and collecting uh stream like invertebrates oh nice and we we watched a, a bunch of videos they, they showed them and they're terrifying mm-hmm. like they're not deep sea monsters yeah. they're just little bugs but having them projected on a big classroom wall so they're mm-hmm. you know six feet tall on this video like it's just like that kind of thing that like sea mm-hmm. life are monsters <laughs> yeah like the sea is full of monsters mm-hmm. we're not supposed to be there <laughs> we should probably stop drinking water and eating fish <laughs> like it's small. not for us <laughs> big and small too because i remember uh um in biology class uh <laughs> our teacher taking this uh this i forget if it was drinking water or if it was like a cup of uh stream water but he made a slide out of it and it was like check out what's in every cup of water you drink yeah and it was one of those Ugh. water bear rotifer things yeah you know you know blown up to huge size through the uh through the digital uh microscope projector but just like this massive thing with these horrifying buzzsaw like jaws well even again that just goes into from beyond like the uh-huh. stuff's just there we just don't have the capability to sense it yep you know like we we are like <laughs> it, is, it is such a god i don't can't see anyone disagreeing with this idea that like we are <laughs> our ignorance is the only thing that keeps us sane i think like, that so. doesn't just seem like a fiction idea but like man if we just had to be aware of like mm-hmm. 
even down to like eating food <laughs> like even like yeah. If, if, yeah like even like oh like i had a hamburger today mm-hmm. well the whore is involved in that if only you knew <laughs> yeah. as you did it you well, know that, i mean the, 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 that extends to a to a to a bigger thing like a conscientious like oh my my very existence is predicated on untold amounts of suffering right yeah but yeah like, it, it just it goes in all directions pro- like, like the further you know the less comfort you have but what's weird is like i, I think about that and then i think well <laughs> I want to like rebel against that notion. I want to like fight to make my world a little, little bit bigger. And mm-hmm. I look at something like that rotifer and I think, ha, that can't hurt me unless it's an amoeba, in which case it goes into my brain and kills me. But it's kind of like, oh, yeah. that's, that's pretty cool. Huh? I didn't, I didn't realize the world was well, so full of wonder. I'm not <laughs> saying that everyone needs to be just scared of rotifers, <laughs> but they are like, if you look at that rotifer, mm-hmm. even if you're intellectually not scared of it, mm-hmm. it is activating the, oh, yeah lizard part of your brain that's like oh that's a monster i should yeah. kill that it doesn't look like you it know? follows the rules of yeah. <laughs> what you assume right like and that and that's what makes like the non-euclidean geometry work like yeah it does not behave as though something you know, as as if anything you've seen right yeah which is which is something that's not really touched on in bloodborne or in video games in general right which makes sense because it'd be very hard to do mm-hmm. um and the times it's been done are like in things like monument valley and stuff mm-hmm. like it yeah. It's done in, in no, like, clever puzzle games. Antichamber, like Silent Hill, deals with that too, like with yeah. mutable uh, architecture and world geometry and stuff. Yeah, well, mutable and then like having it behave in different ways yeah. is like totally different, you know, or feel really different to me. Like it's just, it's a hard thing to get across in a mm-hmm. horror setting, I feel like. Yeah. And there have been some some games that have done a little bit with it, but not yeah. as much as I would like, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so finally, um, the color out of space. Uh, is what we're talking about, written and published in 1927. Um, this is Lovecraft's favorite story. This is his favorite thing that he wrote. <laughs> I am so happy that I read this. It's really good. Oh, my god! Like, the color of space is so good, and it's so <laughs> creepy. Um, like, this is legitimately, like, pushes a lot of four buttons for me. Um, and and uh, the great-great-grandfather basis of Maniac Mansion. Yep. Which is, like, that's so cool. Like, god, <laughs> is it? Oh, the influence just doesn't stop. <laughs> They're just um, like you can just draw a direct line between yeah. this and something else that you really like. Yeah, it's it's not even like a great great grandfather. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, this inspired one story that inspired Maniac Mansion. Mm-hmm. This is this is the grandfather. This is you know one two <laughs> one generation removed, two generations removed from like mm-hmm. my you know one of my favorite adventure games of all time, and like yeah. it's like monumentally important. Again, he has um, powerful powerful ideas. Yeah, they're just like this. this yeah, just creating these these elemental myths um so the main main character in this is called out uh to do a survey he's a surveyor um for a reservoir uh west of arkham yeah and uh as he's doing he's kind of telling a story about how that doesn't go well um <laughs> it, in near this region is something called the blasted heath which is a, a milton and shakespeare mm-hmm. um, reference and uh nobody wants to talk about the heath or the strange days that kind of came before yeah. um, and the heath looks a little bit off but not extremely so at this yeah. point um, but that's because it, it was a long time ago that shit yeah. went down. Yeah, this was this was about 40 years ago, and it still kind of resembles as though somebody just dropped uh, a drop of acid into the yeah. uh, onto the map. Almost Nothing grows there. Yeah, it right. is just this you know huge area. And so he finds this hermit named Ami mm-hmm. uh, and uh, Ami tells him what happened 40 years ago. And ultimately, he says, like, well, that's it. I'm no longer serving <laughs> later, um, later, dudes. And also probably don't drink that water. Yeah, it is. You don't drink the water and you get, uh, you know, it has rotifers in it. <laughs> yeah, so many rotifers. <laughs> so, Gary, what did Ami tell our uh, our surveyor that disturbed him? So, well, apparently in this area of the Blasted Heath, a uh, meteor fell 40 years ago 
And the meter had a bunch of weird kind of properties to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and they go into, or Lovecraft goes into exhaustive detail of how this just doesn't follow any rules that we assume for known materials. Yeah. One, one of the things about Lovecraft is when he was young and even when he's older, he's kind of an amateur scientist. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so he talks about all these tests. Um, I'd like to recommend the, uh, I have the big annotated, like the most recent collection. Oh, yeah. Um, of Lovecraft stuff, it's not complete. It doesn't have everything. It doesn't have from beyond. But the annotations are really handy. Yeah. So whenever anything is based on a real place or uh, he mentions some kind of weird scientific test <laughs> in the story, it tells you tells you what it is. Even down to names, too. Um, yeah, are, yeah. Are you talking about the Penguin Classics collections? No, no, no. This is um, the, uh, HP Love, the new annotated H.P. Lovecraft by Leslie Klinger. Okay. Dr. Klingman. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm but, reading the, uh, the the Penguin ones, and those are uh, very good and easily accessible, too. Like, you can get them for super cheap at Barnes & Nobles. Yeah, they, they make them, since all this stuff's in the public domain, like, they make mm-hmm. it, you know, additions, you're, you're looking for this extra material. Yeah. Like, um, on Slack channel, we we did a book, t- book club about uh, Shadow of Rinsmith, and it has the maps that Lovecraft had driven, or drawn. Of oh, yeah. <laughs> like, he actually made maps of the area, um, which comes across when you read the story, but, like, it's kind of fun to actually see them. Yeah. Um, so essentially, um, this meteor, uh, it won't cool mm-hmm. uh, for one thing. So it's not boiling hot, but it stays hot and, uh, it's shrinking, mm-hmm. um, slowly. So all and, the samples they take off of this with their chisels, they, uh, they, they get smaller. They disappear, especially when they're in contact with silica, which yeah. I don't know if you know, this is all the fucking everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. And it's not like they don't chip off samples. Cause it's not a rock. It's like, it's got this kind of plasticine, hmm. like I was expecting, I, Imagine it kind of like wax. Hmm. You know, they, they gouge out parts of it. Yeah. But it's not it's not like a rock. Hmm. Um, so so they have the, this thing that they're talking about the samples, all the ways that it doesn't behave. Um, and Arkham gets a little bit of, you know, fame and prosperity <laughs> from this. Um, you know, the harvest, like, appears to be great. It's exactly like the Simpsons episode with <laughs> Tamaka. Tamaka yep. this, this episode is this is the basis for Tamaka, I'm <laughs> sure. <laughs> like... <laughs> Again, that, just that episode comes way too late in the run of the simpsons to be as good as it is it's really great that is a great great episode um so the the the, the harvest is she, all the vegetables and fruit are, are huge and everything yeah. but you eat them and they just taste weird it tastes like, like ash you, yeah they, they have the yeah they have this aftertaste that you can't get rid of it says mm-hmm. something like you know no amount you drink water and you can't chase it away yeah it's making people sick and it's specifically this one farm that has been hit. Like this is this is straight up the beginning of Men in Black. Almost. Yeah, the, the gardeners. Um, and yeah. we're going to learn a lot about this family. And that's oh where the horror gosh, in the story oh, comes. So it is. Oh. That's where the horror in the story comes from. It's so personal. Why like, didn't I read this before, Gary? I, I don't know, man. Like <laughs> you could. I feel like. I mean, there's got to be somebody who's done a service where they've just mm-hmm. been like, "Here's the twenty percent of Lovecraft that you actually have to read." Yeah. Like, because if you go through chronological or anything like that, like you're just going to wade through a lot of stuff that has like oh that has one neat idea but isn't very good and that's what happened i got those penguin collections and they have good stories in them right <laughs> but like yeah you just need gonna, something to curate them you can't just cut the deck you know yeah and that that's the thing because this is yeah. this is wonderful this is one of my favorites yeah um you know like my top three mm-hmm. and uh it uh i i read it fairly late too yeah um so animals are acting sick too <laughs> yeah and, so and also season like season my season yeah like so during the winter the like the tracks are wrong yeah, like, like different animals are walking with each other that shouldn't be. The stride of the rabbits is way too long. Yeah, so you just you imagine it never shows them, but you imagine these like rabbits with like inhumanly long legs mm-hmm. um, and stuff. 
yeah. the grass and plants are, are growing abnormally. Mm-hmm. Um, where the meteor is, where the, the snow melts really fast. Yeah. Can't keep snow here yeah. uh, where this thing landed. <laughs> yeah. And like they they talk about the skunk cabbage, like around the yeah. edge of the woods going, growing like uh, especially, especially large. And just kind of the, the, the entire farm starts kind of blooming. Really, yeah. like like plants that ought not bloom are kind of blooming in these in this strange alien color, and yeah. the trees are moving even without wind. And like, what's great about this is nobody believes what's happening here. But again, because of that hillbilly bias, like, oh, they're just telling their tales and spitting their chaw. But yeah, like... yeah, which like one is a cool kind of uh, inversion mm-hmm. of you know the actual like the hillbillies are right in this section. <laughs> um, but two, one thing I just we forgot to mention is that when this happens, it's not just the meteor. Mm-hmm. which does it they dig into the meteor and they find like a globule mm-hmm. in the middle and they bust that open yeah and it appears to be empty and the implication <laughs> is that whatever was inside that yes. is actually what's doing this mm-hmm. so the meteor itself is not harmful it's just mm-hmm. weird yeah it, is, it they, is a vessel but but through science like we <laughs> unleashed something yeah you know through digging through this up so something came out of this weird globule and it's the description of it's really gross and plasticine and nasty. Um, so we start moving into the Gardner family. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the uh, unseen things are, are kind of coming for, for the family. Miss Gardner, his wife, starts going literally crazy. Yeah. And uh, there's so much good detail here. Um, <laughs> and she walks around on all fours. Yeah. Like now, she, she starts glowing at night. Yeah, yeah. Like, yep. again, tobacco. Um, <laughs> and she, uh, I, I love this d- d- description, too, because he so often doesn't, like, go into the into the ways that language can't describe. Like, he just says, oh, I can't describe it. But, like, yeah. this is somebody who, you know, like, through multiple different layers of account, um, only spoke in um, uh, verbs and pronouns mm-hmm. and wouldn't actually name what was invisibly kind of harrying her. Like, just yeah. there's a sense is, it is draining me. Yeah, it's actually, and it's affecting even down to her vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Like, that could be an effect of it draining, like, her going insane and her losing her, her speech mm-hmm. is an element of, of this thing taking from her. Yeah. Um, this is also, when you talk about him doing that, uh, it cannot be named shit, um, this story doesn't do very much of that. No, like, and that's every, wonderful. Yeah, every family member who, who gets it, we get a pretty... <laughs> detailed description of what happens brutal description yeah it's terrifying (laughs) um so the uh the the vegetation has lost all of its color and it's turning gray and brittle it's you know it's not that boom period right that we had and the water goes bad right um the uh and and the the family at this point is kind of struck by this apathy like ami is trying to tell them like hey dig a well higher up on the hill right away from this stuff like that meteor got into the water and they just don't listen right like they either through some influence or just through apathy, they they, mm-hmm. they, they keep drinking it listic, listlessly and mechanically. I love that line. I love yeah. that phrase. Like you can just picture them glassy eyed, like ladle by ladle out of this well. Mm-hmm. Ah, yeah, man. Um, the next family member to be claimed by this is Thaddeus. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, he goes mad and he's not just talking about things coming after them. He is kind of entranced by this well he's talking about this color that is kind of deep inside there and so to protect him uh the father uh locks him into the uh, uh the, the the attic as well and he suffers a fate that is kind of similar to all the rest of the livestock which was not allowed to eat, was not allowed to eat any of the uh, affected um uh kind of kind of produce but uh, just by nature of being in this place they start turning gray and dry like they're actively desiccating 
like the chickens and, are turning into ash and the hogs are fattening up so much that the meat is useless. There, there's a there's a description where they're talking about the pigs where one of their faces collapses. Yeah. Like and it's still alive. Like it doesn't <laughs> it's not of it dying. It's that like its skin has dried out to where mm-hmm. part of it collapses <laughs> and it's still it's still living through this. Like it's <laughs> horrific. Yeah. It's super, super gross. Um, the youngest son, Merwin, um, seems like he's getting off light at first. Um, like he's just he's quiet, you know, because things happening to his family until one day he goes to the well. Um, and then when they go to the well, this is where they find the like the blast, like the the melted scrap of iron that was mm-hmm. once the the lantern mm-hmm. and, the, and the bucket. Yeah. So so the implication is he disappeared by this well, but yeah. something melted the iron <laughs> that he had with him. And again, I love that description. He could only stare and obey, which would make yeah. him a, a wonderful student. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, oh, man. And so, like, his family members are just falling one by one. And Ami goes to visit Nahum, who at this point is just bedridden in the kitchen. Yeah, Nahum is, Gar- is Gardner's first name. Yes, there we go. Um, and uh, he's calling out orders to Zanus, who is not there. Is one of his sons. And when he asks about him, he says he lives in the well. <laughs> like, what a good detail that is. Like, yeah. how creepy is that? But he's still calling seen... for him. Yeah, he's still calling for him. He's like, oh, he lives in the well. So so Ami uh, says, oh, wait, Mrs. Gardner. Like, this is something, something's wrong. And you kind of get the impl- implication here that maybe Ami thinks that Gardner has lost it and has done harm to his family mm-hmm. at this point. You know, like, maybe he's he's checking in. So he's like, what about Mrs. Gardner? Yeah. Um, he goes up to the attic. And one of his favorite pieces of writing that Lovecraft's ever done is... <sighs> When something has been totally taken by this thing, he mm-hmm. just starts calling them uh, like a, a living thing mm-hmm. or a non-living thing. Mm-hmm. And this whole party just keeps making that that differentiation. Yeah. Like the living thing was like an unliving thing and things mm-hmm. like that. Because Miss Gardner is in the corner as this shriveled, like desiccated husk that's emanating this colored mist. Yeah. Um, it's super, super good. And <laughs> and it's implied, like, so it actually did happen. Like, Ami put her out of her misery, mm-hmm. like, collapsed her face yeah. with, with a bar or something yeah. like that. It, it, like, it's implied. Like, the, like the, this comes through, like, again, you know, we're, we're a couple of uh, degrees of remove from this. But, like, the, the authorities wouldn't really look kindly on what he did. But it was an act of supreme mercy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and honestly, at this point, in for a penny and for a pound, like, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Right. Um, like, you just... It's all it's all downhill for you. Yeah. Um, and and so yeah. he heads back down and like there's something about this act. I don't know if he freed the color from her or if just like everything is kind of coming to a head right at this moment. But Gardner is up out of bed and kind of moving toward him. And you get the sense that even though he's described as this desiccated husk of a thing, there are these suctioning slurpy sounds as this kind of like, uh, um, you know, color, this fog, this miasma is kind of like carrying him toward the stairs. Yeah. Yeah. Towards him. And he sees his face and his face is just falling apart. Mm-hmm. Like this brittle gray and dry, just kind of crumbling face. And eventually he, he dies here. Right. Cause this is where he puts the, the tablecloth over him. Yeah. Which I really love that detail. Cause like <laughs> find that shit. Yeah, just, just, um, just a little bit. It's a modesty, right? You cover up a yeah, corpse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? It is. Uh, and, and he, he kind of says this, he's just, you know, he talks about this thing that, that takes him and that you can't get away from it. Right. Like there's something coming. He can't get away from it. It's been taking from yeah. me. Yeah. And there's this refrain, uh, that is kind of repeated throughout this and it's added to, but it ultimately, uh, you know, shakes out to, it came from beyond where things ain't like they be here. Now yeah. it's going home. Yeah. 
Um, so he goes and gets the authorities because, you know, holy <laughs> he, shit. He needs to clear his name. Something's going yeah. on here. Yeah. And uh, they go to examine the well, and the well has the bones of the kids um, <laughs> in this slime that doesn't end. Right. They, they just they, they keep on probing, and it goes down. And again, just think about, oh, gosh, the water. Where's the water come from? Yeah. It's just like bubbling up from the slime or just seeping yep. from the top. Like people were drinking from this. Filtered through this thing. Oh, man. Yeah. That's, that's uh, um <laughs> So the uh, the people are uh, in the house, like kind of talking about what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then they all see that the wood start to kind of glow and the well starts to glow and actually has like a beam shoots up from it. Yeah, like shooting out of it like a cannon straight up. And they say that it cuts a curious circular hole through the clouds. Yeah. 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 And this is this is some of the best description. Like I couldn't get enough of this. Yeah. Like, talking about these. You know, this uh, the, these motes of light, the watcher saw uh, wriggling at the treetop height, a thousand tiny points of faint and unhallowed radiance, mm-hmm. like yeah, as the... these blooms, as these. Uh, oh, gosh, it was a monstrous constellation of unnatural light, like a glutted swarm of corpse fed fireflies dancing. <laughs> sorry, dancing hellish sarabands over an accursed marsh. And its color was that uh, same nameless intrusion, which Amy had come to recognize and dread. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so good, um, at this point. Um, and, and he talked about, he talked about earlier, but he brings back that like, this is just land and Mm -hmm. these different immigrant groups have tried to stay here. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's like, oh, people won't live here. They're going to kind of like the, and it's not just him being racist. It's like people from everywhere, um, try to stay there, but they can't stay, Mm -hmm. um, because they, you know, can't like it, Mm -hmm. it, it repels people. Yeah. As this this gross kind of thing. But the, 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 the event that causes this to 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 subside is uh, i i'm sorry i got the notes out of order here it's um, okay. yeah um but uh but the but the event that causes this to subside all of this kind of feeds back into the into the thing but it's just that there's this massive beam of light and then it kind of calms like everything just kind of falls back apart yeah 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 and they, they say um in here that the uh the blight keeps moving a little bit yeah like an, like inch. About an inch a year like there's an area that won't grow mm-hmm so it's still going and will eventually creep across the earth. <laughs> um, and Ami doesn't end up okay either. No, no. Like he's, you know, insane and sickly <laughs> and, and not doing well here. Yeah. And so <laughs> as the glow became stronger, it just, it fled. Like what happened here was this thing, I, I, I almost read it as an egg, like came here as part of its life cycle. Yeah. And like yeah, and just had to gain strength. Yeah, instead of gathering nutrients, it actually like gathered this indeterminate life force. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The egg thing makes sense too, because when it first gets here, the uh the actual meteorite kind of strengthens things. Mm-hmm. But when they hatch the egg, it needs to feed. Yeah. And uh and there's this whole like when he actually says, you know, usually it's I you know, kind of eye rolly when an author says the name of the story and the thing, but mm-hmm. when he's de- describing it, he's just like, I don't even know what it was. It was just this color out of space. Mm-hmm. And like you know, he's like, and he even goes, he's like, you would describe it as a gas, but it didn't behave like a gas. It was right. just a color. And I really like that. Like, it's just this impression. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't even have like a color is an element of how we describe something, but it's yeah. only one. Mm-hmm. It's like it has one dimension. It'd be like saying like it is just a shape, but mm-hmm. no density or depth or color <laughs> or anything like that. Or it's yeah. just, a you know, a volume. Uh, it's it's that same thing. Like it's snapping to grid based on the way yeah. that we the ways that we can possibly perceive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is it, phenomenal. Like G- this, this story is really, really good. Gary, when you read this in your mind's eye, in your pineal gland, um, what color is the color out of space closest to? 
Yeah, somebody was asking that on Slack too. They were just like, whenever I meet somebody, um, and I apologize for not remembering um, who it was I was talking to, but they were like, I always like to ask them that when I meet them <laughs> for the story. Um, I was thinking of it as purple because I had just read From Beyond. Oh, okay. So I was thinking of it as like a sick purple, like like a green kind of gross purple, like Marty McFly's hat in Back to the Future 2. <laughs> yeah. Essentially like that. Timely. <laughs> yeah, it, is, it is timely. <laughs> um, I'm picturing true cyan. Oh, sure. Yeah, just because yeah, it's so rare and like things in nature uh, outside of the sky are rarely blue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, something like I was definitely expecting some kind of cool, like on the green blue side mm-hmm. of things, like not something like fiery or hot or yeah. warm or welcoming, like something, <laughs> you know, uh, but yeah. And it just, it, again, there's no resolution. They don't win. They're no. starting a reservoir. Yeah. So they, here. They, they, <laughs> there's <laughs> so a chance the that they are sealing it do. away. There's a chance that it will end up being under a bulwark of water. There's <laughs> another chance that it will just like, there's just a thin layer of like, permacrete or whatever between mm-hmm. this thing and their water supply if it ever decides to come back yep or if just the corruption that was there because if it went back home it's still mm-hmm. spreading like <laughs> it's not uh you know the, the effects are increasing and lasting just slowly and he's like the the the, the uh, narrator even refers to specifically the idea that they only smashed one of those globules there could have yeah. been other ones that kind of like disappeared and got um kind of like reabsorbed and yeah. so like maybe like they hatched it before it was actually mature right mm-hmm. or before it actually was and like it found whatever purchase it could based on its weakened state but like this thing that is kind of like more malignant more insidious and kind of like driving deeper and deeper um and playing a longer game <laughs> and and if that's if that's the what happens when it's immature what happens when it naturally yeah you know emerges like mm-hmm. and this is going to be you know he says like i don't want to drink from the arkham water supply like mm-hmm. this this infecting a town and this like it's diluted you know but in a subtle way like is just really cool yeah you know and like in in the fiction arkham has that reputation but arkham is actually not a bad place to live right um like a couple bad things happen in arkham but also like there's just a college and people hang out there <laughs> do you know what city that's is that supposed to be providence no no that's like a, it's it's a couple different cities hmm. but it's it's mostly it's a fiction so there's a couple things that are based on on different parts yeah but um yeah i think it's closer to boston okay but he mentioned it can't be boston because he mentions boston as well yeah yeah, yeah. That's like his thing is is real life and his fake things yeah. in the same sentence. It's his castle rock or it's his dairy. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So the um uh this is, you know, uh germane to souls and uh, bloodborne because of that kind of corruption. Yeah. Um element. This idea that like, you know, these people went into these the 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 old tombs and and Thumeria and dug up something mm-hmm. that slowly touched every part of their life. Yeah. You know. Um, and corruption is something that happens in every Souls game. Right. Like there's an area that was slowly brought to ruin before you got there. Right. So this uh, could be dark. This could be White Town. <laughs> this could be uh, uh, the area around the Duke's archives. Um, yep. Just this one seed crystal that kind of formed this uh, horrible, um, again, malignancy across the land. This yeah. horrible, beautiful malignancy. Yeah. Yeah. But Yeah. Um, yeah, so then that's, that's color out of space. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, so yeah, so like, I mean, hopefully we did a good job of relating these to Bloodborne. So it makes sense that we're covering them on the show. 
I think we did. I mean, just again, like this, the, 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 the whole, at least the best of his stories serve as these idea books for very potent kind of constructions, right? And yeah. we see this, you know, we make reference to it a lot. You more so than me, just because you've, you have more experience with it, but I intend to seek out more until my, you know, energy runs out in which I case I just start watching King of the Hill again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, um, but Early I think Lovecraftian. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the he ancient talking, Dad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, but uh, no, but I think it is like we've we've drawn these comparisons so often um, yeah. as as it goes, and it's you know we've it's nice to have an explicit reason uh, to do so. And I would say that even though we kind of like laid these ideas bare and you know put the you know put the arc over like especially like from beyond or you know like any of the shorter ones, go for it. You know, like yeah. read those because. You know what I'm noticing as I read more of this, and I'm dip- I'm dipping into uh, the Yellow King a little bit, like mm-hmm. reading these primary texts that so many ideas uh, or so many other works have kind of like based their ideas off of, just enriches your appreciation for them, right? Yeah. And yeah. so and even if you know what the twist is going to be, there's there's a lot of profit to be found there. Yeah, it doesn't really matter that you can you can predict what's going to happen in a lot of these stories i think especially in like uh the color from out of space because uh um or the color out of space because it's all atmosphere yeah it's all atmosphere and just like slow inevitable degradation that you can't fight yeah like just this this is happening in this family we're going to take you through it in painstaking detail yeah you know like that's where the story like the horror is like yes there's the horror that sticks with you that's what happens to arkham and Mm -hmm. there's the climax where they see the thing but just here's this is what happened to a family it's like very (laughs) personal Yeah. You know, this is this is what happened to some innocence mm-hmm. because of this cosmic thing beyond our control. Yeah. You're just uh, like you're not even collateral damage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're like your food. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you know, you're nothing. Um Yeah, so so when we uh when we talk about um how do we bring this up, this has been a really old thing for the network. Like this was on the the bingo card, the first jokey <laughs> bingo card like 6 months into the show and like it ceased to be in show notes unless it's something specific, but like yeah. it's it's just the weird thing is other people aren't bringing it up, I guess, or ne- you know, never bring it up because it, that's what where it comes from. Yeah. Um, is this stuff. And, we, you know, even though, like what Cole said, we, we kind of talked through some shade at the shorter stories, like a bunch of them are very good. Mm-hmm. So, like, this statement of Randolph Carter is really cool. Like, there's yeah. a bunch of really cool short ones if you want to get your feet wet. And if not, like one of these longer ones that's really lauded, mm-hmm. you know, is, is definitely worth your time. One thing that's noteworthy is we didn't do uh, Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath. And, like, stuff that happens in the dream quest actually informs some of my understanding of like the cosmology of mm-hmm. bloodborne but that's it's not very good like that's <laughs> one of those that like he never intended it to be published as it was yeah and it's a ponderous nightmare to read <laughs> can't, can't, i mean just I, I know i know this episode is running longer than we intended it to but can you can you can you kind of do us a service and summarize the way it relates oh like the i mean i'm going to talk about it um when we talk about nightmare of mensis okay. a little bit but the um, essentially the idea that like when you're in a dream, you have a measure of control over what happens in it. Yeah. And in Dream Quest, there's a little bit of that. It was uh, expanded upon in the role playing game mm-hmm. section um, when you're in the Dream Quest. But I think that is the explanation why the main character is seeing so many things that relate to the hunter's dream okay. when he's in a nightmare. Right. Like he's bringing them. They're not yeah. there. It's like that's his his lens as he's creating these things to, and they can affect him. They mm-hmm. actually exist in the nightmare, but he's bringing them with him. Yeah, and that's why the doll is is those winter lanterns, and that's mm-hmm. why there are messengers on those aboliths. Yeah, and stuff. Because because again, it's snapping to grid. 
Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's yeah, it's the nightmare version of something that provides him with comfort. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, that's uh, again, I keep saying straight up Silent Hill in relation to this, but I imagine that it draws from a very similar well. Yeah, Silent Silent Hill is a, a huge no, you know, no, not that that specific well. Hopefully, mm-hmm. but like, <laughs> yeah, it it is uh, it's just unreasonably and and something I, I talked about a little bit at the front of this episode. And I won't go on about it too much, but like before you um, you know, if you if you hate like if you're just like sick of, I read on you know, social justice Twitter, which is like, I'm a big part of, I'm not saying that derisively, mm-hmm. um, where people have just been like, why are it's, I'm sick of people being influenced by love, like this old racist piece of shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, it's so, uh, it's hard for me to sympathize with, uh, a reaction to this that is totally without any kind of sympathy for him. Yeah. Like he, he essentially like starved himself to death. Like right. he gave himself stomach cancer through malnutrition mm-hmm. because of, of poverty. And, and he, you know, he he was not uh, he was just like a fundamentally unhappy person. Yeah. You know, um, it just, wasn't he wasn't hateful. He was scared of the world because he was pathetic. And, it's yeah. you know, you don't hate a pathetic thing. No. You know, you pity it. Yeah. Even if it does have some kind of bad attitudes and like mm-hmm. the worst emotion I can, you know, muster for this person who created a lot of things I really love or responsible indirectly and directly for a lot of things I love is mm-hmm. pity. Yeah. Like, I can't hate him for being this racist piece of shit. Mm-hmm. I just feel bad because I know it came from this yeah. intense place of depression. Yeah. No, and and it's it's hard for me to, I don't know, like, it's, I kind of have to weigh the good against the bad yeah. in this case because it did inform so many things that it brought me joy, <laughs> you yeah, know, I mean, which is a weird as, thing like, to say about, like, just things that are meant to inspire terror. But, like, I get joy from the works that can, you know, that kind of derive from this. Like, the way that, like, you were saying how I'm a, a bigger, more Lovecraft literate, like, you know, you're an order of magnitude more like Stephen King literate. Mm-hmm. And it's a really noted influence. Mm-hmm. Um, you're talking about Silent Hill, which obviously pulls a lot from it as well. Like, yeah. you know, it is you like we're both big horror guys. You're probably have a greater breadth you know, breadth of knowledge, mm-hmm. um, of it and, and kind of have your, your finger in more pie. So there's, it is having equal influence on us, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's, it's direct or not. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's like, yes, he was a racist piece of shit, but like he just made people make really cool stuff, mm-hmm. um, or helped people make really cool things. So, yeah. Yeah. And you know, it gets to, it gets down to that old question. Can you separate the author from his works? And like, yeah, <laughs> I, I have not read Ender's game and I don't know if I intend to, but yeah, I, I can't well, I can't reconcile that with why it, I, why I will accept that I know that one of those authors is continuing to do bad things in my lifetime. Well, that that's the issue is is that it's not it's there's the issue of separating the art from the artist. So there's enjoyment and then support mm-hmm. are two different things. And when you appreciate H.P. Lovecraft, you're not supporting him. Mm-hmm. There's no him to support. Yeah. So like you're not actually like I think you should be very careful how you spend your money mm-hmm. and everything like that. Like if if this was. We wouldn't be doing this episode if if he was still alive and was a hateful piece of shit. Mm-hmm. Like we like we would just wouldn't cover it. Yeah. Uh, even if it if it influenced Bloodborne, we'd just be like, yeah, it, it, you know, it influenced like there's yeah. a lot of Lovecraft stuff in there. But we're not going to talk about it because it's gross and racist. Because it would feel bad driving business to him, mm-hmm. you know, or making him well like uh, prosper off his hatred. Yeah. You know, or prosper off this uh you know, this fear. But there's nobody to nobody's <laughs> getting anything from this. Like if you, if you yeah. like this, this stuff, it's just, you know, it's it, yes, it has, you know, his cat has an unfortunate name, but reading that or buying a book that has in it doesn't give him, mm-hmm. doesn't support that behavior. Right. You know? Um, so I, that's how I, it, I don't have a problem with it. Yeah. But 
you know, I also have no problem with hypocrisy or very little problem with hypocrisy. So yeah. it's like, yeah, yeah, okay. It's 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 uh it's in you know possible and even necessary mm-hmm. to appreciate a work while simultaneously discussing <laughs> yeah. its more troubling aspects. But also going back to like, okay, yes, th- these these ideas came from him hitching his engine or hitching his wagon to an engine that was powered by some very unfortunate things. Where that took him and how far that took him doesn't really yeah. have that much to do, do do with anything because like when I read this, it, it actually like <laughs> you know kindles my anxiety. You know, like it is it is a safe way for me to engage with that very real part that is at the center of me that I can kind of close. I I can close it. Yeah, I I don't think anybody's ever reading this stuff and being like, yeah, (laughs) black people have sex with aliens. Nobody's doing that. Like, I don't think that audience exists. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, I mean, there are probably people who like Lovecraft who are racist. Yeah. But it's I don't think in greater numbers than. Mm-hmm. you know people who are racist who like just like video games or just yeah. like you know there are probably as many racist people or more who like call of duty mm-hmm. you know and the, yeah. the kind of troubling racist stuff in that which is in some ways is kind of grosser because it's mm-hmm. hidden and it's not you know yeah. it's, it's not directly there in the page because it has the uh you know <laughs> it's it's weird to call it audacity because it was not audacious in its time but yeah 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 it's, it's direct yeah, but I just I just don't I don't feel like people are reading this and they mm-hmm. they read something like the Shadow over Innsmouth and they're like, man, black and white people shouldn't get married. <laughs> they're probably I mean if they're I mean I can't I guess I can't project, but when I read it, I'm like, man, what would it be like to be a teenager in that town and then <laughs> your parents explain to you like, okay, well this is what you have to do for our religion and to mm-hmm. to live forever, have sex with this fish person. This is your <laughs> you know this is your weird fish bride. Yeah. You know, or something like that, or like, hey, I'm sorry, honey, but we're going to put you into the ocean to be this like things like that. Like that is mm-hmm. what my imagination takes. I don't add that real yeah. level, real life subtext that I know is can be there, mm-hmm. but it's it just I don't have a problem not recalling it. Yeah, you know. And I don't. This will be a little bit of a controversial statement. I don't know how dangerous. I don't know how dangerous it is to try on a thought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know? No. I mean. We it, it's like it, we talked about it before when we talked about suicide, where it's like I've thought about suicide. Mm-hmm. I haven't necessarily like considered I, it or planned it. Yeah. But I thought like, what would it be like to never like what would it be like to kill myself? What would it be like to live forever? Like you're just trying. It's not dangerous. Mm-hmm. You're just it, trying out a thought is a good way to put it. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I don't think there's that much of a problem with that. Yeah. Like that doesn't bother me that much. If you don't you reject it. Mm-hmm. But it's still, you know, there's nothing wrong with just think, thinking like, oh, this could be a thing. <laughs> And it's it's super important in, yeah. in the grand scheme of things. Like it's not like if you don't feel like most things that are happening or have happened <laughs> were touched by racism in this country, you're fooling yourself. Like yeah. you know, it is it is that's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Like we live on a foundation of it. Yeah. Um, there's a there, there there's a wonderful principle in um, mindful mindfulness meditation or just mindfulness mm-hmm. thought, which is that um, clouds don't stay in the sky. Yeah. They just pass over it. Like that's the same thing with a thought. Like it's used there in the uh in the in, in the idea of you interrupting yourself. Like you just kind of like step back on the path. But like you know, your thoughts don't stain your mind. Yeah. Yeah. I mean and if if it does, if it feels like it's going to, that's when you should course correct. But yeah. you you know, I can I am strong enough. I think most people are strong enough to entertain a notion of like you know, a town where people have to fuck fish to <laughs> yep. live forever without it necessarily <laughs> yes. meaning that they want to fuck fish. There's also that kind of goofy level that you can engage on this because, like, horror is very closely related to comedy. Yeah. 
yeah, it is. It is. There is something funny about the idea of like if you have enough sex with enough with the right fish, <laughs> then, then then you're you're set for for eternity. It's so hard to um, find a good fish these days. Reverse mermaids, man. It's it's. <laughs> I keep telling you that's that's why I keep coming back to you, daddy. Like you don't look <laughs> you don't look at the mantle when you're poking the fire, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ, Gary. <laughs> Uh, I can't remember when I first heard that, but it's always <laughs> stuck with me as a disgusting sentence. I, I heard you say something this past weekend that I really liked, which is, uh, I wasn't fishing, but I liked what I caught. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was a totally different, different meaning. In I know. Way. Yeah. <laughs> Just, yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, that, that's our, that's our Lovecraft thing. And it's not exhaustive either. Like, no, there's more that people could do, mm-hmm. but, um, thanks. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for taking on this weird tributary. Um, what are we doing next time, Cole? Next time, we're going to be doing The Nightmare of Mensis, continuing on the critical path of Bloodborne. And we're going to be joined by uh, Davin Pavlis. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, Davin. Davin, there we go. I'm sorry. I think I might have said Plavis at one point in the past, uh, but it, it's Pavlis, and I, I apologize, yeah. Davin. Um, and also by uh, Bombs Fall. Uh, that's his yeah. name on Twitter. What's his actual name? Scott Benson. Scott, there we go. Yeah, he's making the upcoming game uh, Night in the Woods. Mm-hmm. And uh, is he's done a bunch of other like d- design animation stuff. Um, we you know, probably most famously for that, uh, the feminist stole my ice cream short. Uh, <laughs> I love that thing. <laughs> yeah. Which, it's funny. Cause we, we talked about that and, and mm-hmm. I was talking about it on Slack, like as two listeners, we talked about that. I didn't, I didn't love it, but I've mm-hmm. come to love everything else about this man. <laughs> like I really <laughs> like Scott. Like, and the only reason why I don't think I, I, I was just like, Oh, I, I was too the, the choir for it. You mm-hmm. know, I was just like, Oh, like I, I know. Yeah. Um, and I, I had that <laughs> feeling, but it is, it is really well done and he's yeah. done some really amazing Amazing shit. So nice. it's gonna be it's gonna be a four way. It's gonna be super cool. Mm-hmm. And just uh, to clarify, that does include Murgo's Loft. Yes. Like we're going up through what could be like you know the the final boss of the game. Mm-hmm. Actually. Oh yeah, I hadn't thought about it that way. Yeah, yeah. If, if you if you're a lamo, it's the, the <laughs> final boss of the game. Um. So yeah. So we're doing that where there's not an appendix episode. So that's mm-hmm. happening in a week. Oh, uh, but there's an appendix episode for uh, for Mensis. There's not an appendix for this episode. Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. So yeah, that Mensis comes up. Um, so, but there is an appendix episode for Mensis. If you have thoughts about Nightmare mm-hmm. of Mensis or Murgo's Loft, hit us up at duckfeed.tv forward slash contact. Yeah. Um, thank you, everybody, who bought a Bonfireside Cats shirt oh, um, yeah, in support of Gary. Um, uh, we're getting some pictures of those kind of trickling in. I love seeing those because I like mm-hmm. that design. Um, I'm, I'm proud of it. Um, so go ahead and send us more of them. Cold, cold in the design. It's all cool, and it is, uh, it is great, good work. Thank you. Um, yeah. If uh, and th- that made me th- think of something I wanted to put out a call next time we recorded. Um, if you're one of our Patreon supporters, and we'll talk about Patreon in just one second, and you want another shirt mm-hmm. from us, I haven't seen pictures of very many of those. Mm-hmm. Like, if you want to take a picture of you wearing that shirt, that would be great. Yeah, we're not going to use it for gross marketing things or anything. We just no. want to. We just want to see it. See it. Like... Yeah. 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 So um, that would be awesome. I generally make the designs, and Gary signs off them, but we're both proud of them. Yeah. 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 Um, if, uh, if you want to become a patron, um, you can go to uh, patreon.com forward slash duckfeedtv. Um, you get episodes a day early. 
you can join our Slack channel, which I mentioned a couple of times mm-hmm. during this. Um, there's a lot of fun stuff there. Like, I, you know, tomorrow we're doing our, our book club mm-hmm. uh, Shadow of Rensmith discussion and stuff. So there's a lot of cool stuff you can get for as little as $2 a month. Um, so it would be awesome to, uh, to see you there. Yeah. Um, and then there's the usual stuff. Uh, we mentioned at the top this uh, uh, series of meetups and the live show that we're doing. But I want to reiterate, go to duckfeed.tv uh, slash Ohio dash 2015 uh, to see that. Mm-hmm. We would love to meet you if you have the ability to come out and see us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, uh, you know, drink a beer with us. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that that's about it. Just about. Until next time, Cole, what should they correlate the contents of? Uh, something that cannot be named. Cthulhu Fatagon. Cthulhu Fatagon. And we all pray that we will have far more soon. <laughs> Gary, you you saw the D Devils video, right? The uh, the live. Oh, I, performance. I did. You, did you see my response to it? <laughs> low, 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 low. Yeah, like it was it was amazing. I watched it on the bus. <laughs> that, that might be my equivalent of the uh, the freaks like me need company. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I've watched it so many times. It's really special. I've watched it a bunch of times too. Like it's 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 really incredible. <laughs> I want to go see that band. <laughs> me too. They still perform. They have a uh, they have a Facebook page where the most recent post uh, as of October eighth was um, is anybody here from Mexico? Message us so we have something to ask you. <laughs> oh, <uh-oh>. <laughs> <laughs> so and they were also doing a uh, an event called the games are open which is uh riding that success (laughs) yep uh which is uh, the best i can determine i don't know how it was decided but it was country versus country okay (laughs) so i I imagine it was like our soundtrack showdown except uh with nations instead of soundtracks as as d-devil fans or just in general maybe as d-devil fans okay yeah i suppose i i could see oh d-devil fans like Mm -hmm. you know which d-devil fans are best (laughs) And in that case, like go USA. Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, man. If we ever do that, uh, we we talked about uh, if we ever do like the duck feed tour. Like it's like like the movie bucket list or something like that. Yep. And we we get a bunch of money and we retire and we're just like let's go see let's go to New Orleans and see all the locations from Gabriel Knight and stuff. <laughs> it, it can end with a with a, a D Devil show. Yeah, it's us like flying to Belgium so we can see the D Devils. Yeah, go go see the D Devils. I mean, after we've we've seen Buffo, like we can do all that yeah, stuff local. Yeah. But we go get the D Devils in the end, <laughs> and then as we we slowly die, we dance with the devil. Um, <laughs> oh gosh, the keyboardist sprockets over fight. there just dutifully hitting his one key, <laughs> and that's with the devil. <laughs> fight section goes on for so long. Him, him just lip syncing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that and the the, the like Harley Quinn. Uh huh. Like rubbing nub all over him <laughs> yep. like, <laughs> and, and during the dance of the devil party he holds stock still in like a b-boy pose it's 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 really good and, and at the start it's obviously his real voice this kind of screechy euro voice like yeah. dance with the devil louder and the crowd couldn't be less the interested crowd is huge though <laughs> yep. they couldn't be less interested but there are a lot of people who came to that show <laughs> we're here for deep cuts <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> dance of the devil is too too commercialized. Yeah. You know, listen to like what was it like the Pussy and the Rooster or something like that? Like wasn't there some song that was like really salaciously titled? Yeah, it was like there's one that's like Odin's Journey. Yeah, um, another... Sli- slightly less salaciously titled. That's it was Onan's Journey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, 